This is Jocko Podcast number 66 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. At 325, the troop once again received orders to attack. I gave an order full of enthusiasm. I told the troop we attack in five minutes to the 70 Easting. This is the movement we have all awaited. Although we knew the general locations of large enemy units, we had not received detailed intelligence about the enemy we were to encounter. I had a feeling, however, that this time we would meet the enemy. Lieutenant Gautier, known for his deadpan sense of humor, asked on the radio, what kind of contact can we expect? I replied, enemy contact. He said, Roger, that's the best kind. And the troop rolled forward through the blowing sand. And that's a that's a little excerpt from a personal account from a guy by the name of H.R. McMaster, who you may have heard about recently coming into a higher profile job in the current administration. But he's a very interesting guy, and I wanted to talk a little bit about his experience and some of the things that he said about just the way he sees things. And so he was in this big battle in the first Gulf War as a captain. So, you know, in charge of a a, a group of 140 guys. And he fought in this battle called the Battle of 73 Easting. And I'm going to go to a little excerpt from Wikipedia that sort of gives you the, the broad idea of what was going on. The Battle of 73 Easting refers narrowly to the violent armored combat action that took place in the final hours of 2nd ACR's covering force operation in the zone of 2nd Squadron and in the northern third of the 3rd Squadron zone. In the battle, four of 2nd ACR's armored cavalry, cavalry troops, troops E, G, and I, with Troop K contributing to I troops fight, totaling about 36 M1A1 tanks, defeated two enemy brigades, the 18th Brigade and later in the day, the 9th Armored Brigade. So it's interesting. You have a legitimate tank battle, right? Like a World War II-style tank battle that took place in the first Gulf War, and that's what this is talking about. And McMaster at the time, McMaster's was in charge of Eagle Troop. So... They got some good details in here, and again, this is very simple. Uh, one of the best, clearest descriptions of what happened. It was actually on Wikipedia, so I just pulled some of that. So here we go, a little bit of what Eagle Troop did. At 4.10 p.m., Eagle Troop received fire from an Iraqi infantry position in a cluster of buildings. Eagle Troop Abrams and Bradley's returned fire, silenced the Iraqi guns, took prisoners, and continued east with the two tank platoons leading. The nine M1A1 tanks of Eagle Troop destroyed 28 Iraqi tanks, 16 personnel carriers, and 30 trucks in 23 minutes with no American losses. So you got nine tanks against 28 tanks and 16 personnel carriers and 30 trucks, and the nine tanks win. That's that's just domination, battlefield domination. And there's a bunch of technical reasons as well as leadership reasons that we're going to get into. Next, 
At about 4.20, Eagle crested a low rise and surprised an Iraqi tank company set up in a reverse slope defense on the 70 Easting. Captain McMaster, leading the attack, immediately engaged that position, destroying the first of the eight enemy tanks to his front. His two tank platoons finished the rest. So they're just, they're just hammering, hammering these Iraqi tanks. Three kilometers to the east, McMaster could see T-72s, those are the tanks that the Iraqis are using, in prepared positions. Continuing his attack past the limit, the 70 limit of advance. So the way maps are set up, there's there's coordinates on them, and each one of the coordinates has each one of the the lines that runs north south has a has a label to it 69, 70, 71, 72, 73. Mm-hmm. So he had been told not to go past the 70 easting. That's what they're saying. That was his limit of advance. These are all really common military terms. They say, hey, you're not allowed to go past this road or this this coordinate on a map, and they just call that a limit of advance. Mm-hmm. So he was supposed to stop at 70. He has to get after it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Continuing his attack past the 70 limit of advanced, he fought his way through an infantry defensive position and onto high ground along the 74 Easting. And this is going now that I mixed this in here with the Wikipedia, which was a very simple explanation of what happened. Now going into a personal account that McMaster wrote himself when he was a young captain. So here we go from Captain McMaster's account. Lieutenant Gifford called me from the command post to remind me that the 70 Easting was the limit of advance. We were already beyond it. I told him, I can't stop. We're still in contact. Tell them I'm sorry. Gifford explained the situation to the squadron headquarters on the radio. Major McGregor was forward with our tanks and fully understood the situation. If we had stopped, we would have forfeited the shock effect we had inflicted on the enemy. Had we halted, we would have given the enemy farther to the east an opportunity to organize an effort against us while we presented them with stationary targets. We had the advantage and had to finish the battle rapidly. We would press the attack until all of the enemy were destroyed or until they surrendered. So that's a pretty bold move to just push. And it's also a risky move. And I'll tell you the biggest risk of it is having a blue-on-blue situation unfold. I think it makes it a lot easier the fact that this was daytime mm-hmm. and that that just makes it everything so much more clear in the daytime but you could obviously make some mistakes if you're if you're pushing that limited advance is there for a reason and you might have some other group that's controlling that sector you also might have air power that the air power might be told hey if you see any vehicles moving past 70 easting you can start dropping bombs mm-hmm. So you do have to be very cautious when you make an aggressive move like this. And I bet McMaster himself would go back and say, you know what I should have done is I should have given him a heads up, hey, I'm pushing past 70 Easting. Please, you know, let everybody know. So now this is going back to the to the wiki account here. There he encountered and destroyed another tank unit of 18 T-72s. In that action, the Iraqis stood their ground and attempted to maneuver against the troop. This was the first determined defense the regiment had encountered in its three days of operations. Still, the Iraqi troop had been surprised because of the inclement weather and were quickly destroyed by the better trained and better equipped American troops. After defeating that force, McMaster sent a scout platoon of two Bradleys north to regain contact with Troop G. In doing that, the scout platoon encountered another Iraqi tank position of 13 T-72s, which they destroyed with tow missiles. So as these guys are just everywhere they, they find these, these, these Iraqi tanks, they're just crushing them. 
and this is going back to McMaster's account again. I jumped on top of my tank to give the crew room to cross-load ammunition while I monitored the radio. I surveyed the fires which the which surrounded the troop. It seemed as if the action had only lasted seconds. I felt no significant emotion during the battle. I think I had simply been too busy. I realized that I had not eaten all day. I tore into an MRE, packaged, and devoured a dinner of cold potatoes and ham. I gulped down some water, and the quick infusion seemed to slow the flow of adrenaline. So I thought that was interesting. He, he was just doing his job. You know, he wasn't getting emotional and just getting it done. And then the ceasefire comes the next day, and that's it. The war's over. Like, I mean, this was the, the war was 72 hours, and the war's over. And so he kind of talks about what he was thinking here once they hear the ceasefire. Back to McMaster's account. Eagle Troop had taken no casualties. I and other soldiers offered prayers of thanks to God. We did not gloat over our victory. We had simply done our part in liberating Kuwait from the treachery and inhumanity of Saddam Hussein and his Republican guard henchmen. We surprised the enemy on the 26th of February. That surprise and the bold action and teamwork of the troop soldiers contributed to the rout that is now known as the Battle of 73 Easting. In general, the Iraqis were unprepared for the United States Army. Americans are better trained and equipped. The true decisive factor, however, was the American soldier. He is the best at what he does and absolutely dedicated to serving his country. Our soldiers were aggressive in battle, yet demonstrated great discipline and compassion for their enemy. I am grateful that I had the opportunity to serve with them in this action. Captain H.R. McMaster, E Troop, 22 ACR. So, and, and I didn't go into it too much of, I didn't go into it at all, but they took a lot of prisoners as well. They weren't just killing everyone. There was a lot of people that were surrendering, a lot of Iraqi soldiers that were surrendering, and they were doing their best to take care of those guys. And there were also some that pretended to surrender and then attacked. So they had a little bit of both. And they, they as, as McMaster said, they showed great discipline and compassion for the enemy. Now, I didn't, you can, you can go online and you can read the full account of what this whole battle felt like. But he, he recently wrote, so now he's a lieutenant. He was a captain at the time, an 03, and now he's a lieutenant general, a three-star. And there's a... A website called the strategybridge.org and there's an article there which is written by McMaster and he goes through the lessons that he learned in that battle and the 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 article is called something along the lines of hey guidance for small unit leaders mm-hmm. so I thought there were some some good solid Lessons learned that he brought back. So I'm going to go go through them. Number one, lead from the front. Leaders must be forward to gain a clear picture and make decisions. As Sergeant Harris engaged with 25 millimeter, Lieutenant Gautier moved forward to assess and further develop the situation. So, so to explain that, you've got a sergeant that's like engaging the enemy, and then the lieutenant he doesn't just sit there. 
he goes forward to find out what's going on and assess what's happening. So as a leader, when your troops are getting busy doing the work, what can you do? Don't get dis- don't get target fixated on your own guys and the work that they're doing. Look around. Go forward. Move to a different position where you can see more. Back to the book. Gautier fired a tow missile into the center of the enemy position in the village to orient our tanks. After our gunner, Staff Sergeant Craig Koch fired a subsequent tank round to Mark Center. All nine tanks fired high explosive rounds into the village simultaneously to suppress the enemy position. Despite the secondary explosions in the village to its south, 1st Platoon maintained its primary observation to the east. So he's basically marking the position. Lieutenant Gautier basically marks the position. So not only did he move and observe what was happening, then he's directing everyone else once once he does that. So it's a really simple combat. You hear it all the time. Lead from the front. Mm-hmm. Now, can you get too far forward? Yes, you absolutely can. If you're if you're the guy that's actually engaging the enemy and you're having to you know either with your weapon in a tank or your weapon your personal weapon on your 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 rifle, and you're the leader and you're actually shooting bad guys, well then you you got some issues because. You need to be looking around. You need to be seeing what the next move is going to be. So lead from the front, but always the dichotomy is there. Don't go so far forward that you lose the ability to look around and observe what's what's happening. Mm. Number two, shoot first. If you know where friendly forces are and there is not a danger of civilian casualties, do not hesitate to shoot or conduct reconnaissance by fire. The side that shoots first has a tremendous advantage. Staff Sergeant David Lawrence was the commander of 1st Platoon's northernmost Bradley. When his gunner, Sergeant Bradley Feltman, said, Hey, I've got a hot spot out there. I'm not sure what it is. Lawrence responded, Put a tow in it. See what it is. A tow is a tow missile. Lawrence identified the hot spot as a T-72 as the turret was ripped from its hull in the ensuing explosion. Our troops' experience was consistent with Erwin Rommel's observation in his World War I book, Infantry Attacks. And this is Rommel talking. I have found again and again in encounter actions, in encounter actions, the day goes to the side that is first to plaster its opponents with fire. Shoot first. And how do I translate that? Real simple. Be aggressive. Now he points out very clearly here, you know, where there's, where you know where friendly forces are, yeah. right? You know where friendly forces are because obviously that can go sideways. And by the way, when he pushed past his limit of advance, now also no one knew where he was. Yeah. So he needed to be careful in that situation. But that that aggressive, being aggressive with fire is something you have to do. And and you can see, like, they saw a hot spot out there on their thermal. I don't know what this is. Yeah, put a toe in it. Yeah. Which we we know it's not good, guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, blast it. Yeah. We had uh, I'd been in Baghdad on my first deployment for like a couple days, yeah. and we went out on a on an operation. And anyways, when we were coming back, we got ambushed, and it wasn't a big deal. But like we, you know, we received fire, and so we returned fire, and and basically we returned fire heavily, and and. We were getting after it. Yeah. Right? This is when we didn't have any armor on our Humvees. They were just they were just open. They didn't have doors, so mm. we didn't have armored Humvees. Not many people did in Iraq at that time in 2003. So what we had done is we had taken the doors completely off, and then we'd taken our seats 
and turned them so they faced outwards mm. so we and we we'd have our feet like hanging out of the Humvee or maybe sitting on these these big rails that we'd built along the side mm. and so we'd be facing out it mm. was you were in a position you were basically in a position to shoot at all times yeah. and because the way a Humvee is set up with doors on either side and then people in the back you had 360 degrees of of visibility and of fields of fire coming out of every Humvee mm. and so when we got we were driving we were on the we had just done a little operation we were coming back and as we were coming back we started taking fire and so we just returned fire and it was a massive return of fire like I think the enemy was pretty overwhelmed with it <laughs> and we got back and everyone was kind of like well we kind of we kind of laid it down yeah, you know yeah, yeah. we went through a lot of rounds in a very short period of time and the reason I'm saying this story is because that was my platoon and so we get back and and we're kind of debriefing and then the next day we're going out on another operation and I don't know if this story is gonna make any sense but the next day we we're going out on another operation and one of my bros who wasn't who is my senior enlisted advisor at the time but he wasn't on that mission that we just did and he's he goes listen if you guys take contact you need to shoot back you can't be afraid to fire and I made some combat like don't worry we'll be good to go <laughs> no one over here is afraid to shoot and then everyone laughed because they knew that we put down a lot of lead if you yeah, want yeah. if you want to trade bullets with us we, we'll play that game mm. we don't mind trading some bullets so the same thing though if you start feeling like you're gonna get contacted and, and they, that's another thing they used to teach us you know when you're in a firefight where do you think the enemy might be and we heard this a lot the, the Korean Marines were talking the, the the Marines US Marines that were in Korea were talking about that hey you're gonna put fire down where we think the enemy might be because mm. that's where you know you're looking at a an area and there's a a, a good covered position mm. if there's a bad guy's probably gonna be there put fire on him yeah shoot first lesson number two from General McMaster all right number three fight through the fog of battle be prepared for confusion and concurrent activity as we suppressed enemy positions in the village while Lawrence was launching a missile the troop received permission to advance to the 70 easting I instructed first platoon to resume to resume movement to the east lieutenant Peschek did not respond immediately because Lawrence was reporting on the platoon radio net contact contact east tank simple orders and complete reports are essential to maintaining common understanding in battle so there's another example of got to keep things simple and he's specifically talking about how you communicate with other people on the radio that's what he's talking about you have to communicate simply and clearly in order for people to understand what's happening that can mean if you give try a lot of times you see this people try and give too much detail mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. listen to this contact contact east tank that's it mm. where's the contact it's to the east what is it it's a tank that's it. That's what we need to know. Now everybody knows what's going on. If you said, "Hey, I've got a contact. He's about 480 meters. It is a T72 tank. It's moving in an eastward." No, we don't care about any of that right now. Yeah. We don't care about any of that. Just tell us what is happening, and that's one of the things that can help you fight through the fog of battle. Now, that contact call is actually a standard operating procedure. I'm assuming, which is because we would do this in the SEAL teams, you'd give what type of contact it is, what direction, or, or sorry, what bearing, and what distance. So you'd say machine gun fire, 150 meters, 
four o'clock and now everybody gets a very quick read of what's happening because you mm-hmm. can't not everyone's gonna see where the firing came from mm-hmm. so even having a standard operating procedure to keep your your verbiage limited mm-hmm. is important mm-hmm. there's calls the whole the, the, all everything we do in the seal teams basically has a, a very simple call that you can make and and it's broken down into like three words mm-hmm. contact front online you know that's yeah. it everyone knows what to do Every seal you tell them contact front online, they know what to do. (laughs) Number four, follow your instincts and intuition. As Sergeant Feltman launched the tow missile, I decided to go to a tank's lead formation and instructed Green and White, the tank platoons, to follow my move. First platoon pulled in behind as the tank wedge moved forward and covered the tank's rear. Third platoon retained responsibility for flank security. Gotta maintain that flank security. As we began moving forward, first platoon, responding to the contact report on their platoon radio net, began firing 25 millimeter high explosive munitions across the front. It was a little unnerving for the tanks as we moved forwards. I gave first platoon a ceasefire order. Red one, this is black six, ceasefire. The two tank platoons were slightly delayed. As our tank came over the crest of the imperceptible rise north of the village, Sergeant Craig Koch, the gunner, reported, tanks direct front. I counted eight T-72s in in prepared positions. They were at close range and visible to the naked eye. So he's talking about trusting your instincts and trusting your intuition, and my and that's what he's doing here. He's seeing things happening. He's seeing things unfold. And he's a, he says, hey, go, go into this formation. Boom, everyone goes in this formation. He's acting off of instinct. But what's important here is where do your instinct and where does your intuition come from? It comes from training and experience. Yeah. That's where it comes from. Now, it could be hard to get combat experience. We hadn't had a tank battle in, well, since World War II. There's been no major tank battles. And here these guys, are, no, none of these people have ever been in a tank battle before. And now they're in a tank battle. So how do you do that? You got to do realistic simulated training. That's what you have to do. And you have to make this the realistic. It's got to be surprising. It's all the things I talk about all the time. It's got to be surprising. It's got to be unknowns. You got to do things that people aren't expecting. Mm. That's what you have to do so that they can develop their instincts, so they can develop their intuition. Because if you're inexperienced and you don't know what you're doing and you just decide you're going to follow your instinct, your instinct can be wrong. Oh, yeah. It can be wrong, and the let it's it's like jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. You take a new person in jujitsu, their instincts are going to be wrong. Period. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. Right? I mean, the yeah. classic is if someone is mounted on you, Turn then they back. and you try. Yeah, you, you do, either do one of two things: you try and push them off of you, you're getting arm locked, or you turn around, you turn over, and they're choking you. Yep. But each one of your instincts is wrong. Your instinct needs to be elbow escape or you know uh, umpa escape gotta be one of those two things mm-hmm. but th- those instincts only come from training it's the same thing with these combat scenarios how you have you can't just trust don't just trust your instinct as a matter of fact yeah make sure you've trained yourself make sure you've prepared yourself and then make sure that you detach because that's another thing that can screw up your instincts is your instincts you're feeling pain you know I was rolling with Andy yesterday he will put like pain on me. He'll sure. he'll put his elbow in my ear or, or or something. And all he's trying to do is get me to to make the instinctual move. Yeah. Of oh, I'm gonna reach up and pull his hand away. If I do that, I'm getting arm locked. Yeah. Right. No, can't do that. Have to just accept the pain. Yep. Just just deal with it. Go grind harder, Andy. Bring it. Yeah. 
here your instinct if you start taking fire from a certain position that could your instinct could be oh we're gonna get down and move over here right. you got to remember you got to detach enough that you say oh I need to check my flank I need to see what else is going on here I need to assess these other situations that might be unfolding yeah that's the and that's where that kind of experience well and training you uh, come in and so a lot of it can be things that aren't really conscious too and it comes with like let's say you know in, in, in a relationship situation let's say i know Bro, you I'm sitting over here trying to talk about war I, and fighting no, and you want to go straight to relationships even, this early in the show <laughs> all right do it what i'm not got? even necessarily saying you know romantic or boyfriend mm-hmm. girlfriend any kind of relation if you know the, the person really well you can tell when something's off just a little bit. Be like, hey, is something bother you? The guy would be like, oh, no, no, all good. And they can, you know, they can re- be real convincing with, yeah, yeah, no, I'm all good. But you you know, your instinct because you have so much experience with them, you know? Yes, you're right. And you're right in the fact that, you know, when I talk about de-escalation, right? Mm-hmm. If you come in and you say, hey, Jocko, this is crap with the way we're doing this. If my instinct is like, no, it's not crap. That's my instinctive response. Like, no, screw you. I'm right. You're wrong. But. What I really need to do is say, hold on a second, detach. Let's assess what Echo's saying. Echo normally doesn't do this, right? Mm-hmm. Why is he doing this? Something is going on. Don't. I'm not going to trust my instinct, right? Yeah. Now, luckily, like you said, through training, through knowledge, right, in the situation, I know that you don't act that way. So, yes, follow your instincts, follow your intuition, but make sure that you've trained to develop them. And also, I like to question them. When I feel something, yeah. I just don't go with it immediately. I'm, I want to go with it, and I most likely will go with it, mm-hmm. but there's also a possibility I say, well, not a possibility, but when I say, hey, we need to move here, I go, okay, what could be happening? Is this a position that the enemy might be in? Is this a, a move that could be getting set up on me? No, I think I'm pretty solid, or at least as I move there, I'm going to be aware of it. I'm trusting my instinct, but I'm being cautious. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how like co- you hear that talking police, you know, like cops have like good in- instinct oh, for sure. because for of sure. like... The repetitious patterns of, for sure. of bad guys. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say something else, too. Oh, there's plenty of times where if you don't trust your instinct, you will get crushed, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about in a jiu-jitsu perspective, but when you get good, you're not thinking about anything. You, right. you have to just use your instinct. Your, yeah. your training, your muscle memory is what's working. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with police. You know, they get to a point, you get into a situation, if they're not going off their instinct they're gonna get they're gonna get burned yeah because they learned yeah yeah and that's the trained instinct how you were saying like that's the right the trained as right. opposed to the untrained instinct yes yeah. can kind of get day you. one being a being a police officer out on the beat yeah. they're not gonna have they're not gonna have an a fraction of what you deal with that cop 10 years later yeah. and you and that cop's like hey yeah. listen I see your hand. I see you got some blood on your knuckles. I know what happened. Mm. Here, tell me what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas a young guy might be oh, what's going on? Yeah, getting yeah, in your yeah. face about something. Yeah, or a guy's like being uh, too nice. You know how like the cop can tell like, oh, this guy's being too nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's like a mediocre level of niceness that's like, okay, that seems like like he's mellow. But if a guy's being like too aggressive or too defensive or too nice, they can tell. Yeah. You know, there's something up suspicious, you know? Yeah. Maybe a new guy might be, not be able to tell that. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Next one. Number five, use standard unit fire and battle drills. Aim to overwhelm the enemy upon contact and retain the initiative through speed of action. As Sergeant Koch fired the main gun and destroyed the first tank, I sent a contact report to the troop. This is black six contact east. 
eight armored vehicles, green and white. You with me? Sergeant Koch destroyed two more tanks as our tank platoons accelerated movement. All nine tanks began engaging together as we advanced. In approximately one minute, everything in the range of our guns was in flames. Fire distribution and control allowed us to destroy a much larger enemy force in a very short period of time. So how do they do that? Good, solid, disciplined, standard operating procedures. And you, I'm telling you, you, you think about how simple this is. He, he says, this is Black Six, contact East, eight armored vehicles, green and white, are you with me? That's the whole, that's the whole detailed plan. Mm. Hey, there's bad guys over there, we're moving East, let's go. And everybody says, all right, we've done this thousands of times, we've drilled it, we rehearsed it, what, what do we do right now? And they probably had little standard operating procedures, hey, guys on the, you know, on the left flank are gonna start flying at the left vehicles, guys on the right flank, and it, they had all these procedures work out so that in less than a minute, victory. Mm. Less than a minute. So develop those good standard operating procedures, disciplined procedures, and when I talk about freedom on the battlefield, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Discipline equals freedom on the battlefield. Because when you have those disciplined procedures, he doesn't even have to, he has the freedom to maneuver, he has the freedom just to say, hey guys, there's the enemy, let's take care of him. Boom, it's done. Yeah. Next one. Number six, foster initiative. Every trooper understood how our platoons and the troop conducted fire and maneuver. Our tank driver, Specialist Christopher Hedensog, knew that he had to steer a path that permitted both tank platoons to get their guns into the fight. He turned 45 degrees to the right and kept our frontal armor towards the first enemy tanks we engaged. He drove through a minefield, avoided the anti-tank mines, reporting on the intercom, Sir, I need you to know we just went through a minefield. He knew that it would be dangerous to stop right in the middle of the enemy kill zone. Heden Skog saw that our tank platoons had a window of opportunity to shock the enemy and take advantage of the first blows that Sergeant Koch delivered. So, clearly this is decentralized command, right? And you just think about this first, every trooper understood how our platoons and the troop conducted fire maneuver. Everybody knows what to do. Everybody. And here's this kid, he's probably 18 years old what is he a specialist yeah specialist he's probably 19 years old and he's got he's leading right the the commander's in charge but there's a guy that's driving that's picking the course where they're gonna go and again think about this the captain he's not saying like hey six degrees to the left six degrees to the right get 40 no he's not giving any of those orders and if you think about it could he have been able to do that he's dealing with all this other stuff he's dealing with fire control he's dealing with uh, the position he's reporting back up the chain. He's got all this other stuff going on. He doesn't have time to tell this guy where to go, but it's mm-hmm. decentralized command. Mm-hmm. That specialist that is leading the tanks from an actual driving perspective, he knows what to do. Mm-hmm. He knows the procedures. And so he's able just to do it. He even knows, he knows it so well that when he sees that we're in a minefield, he, he assesses the threat. Okay, we're in a minefield. I see three mines. I'm going to steer around them the best I can. But if we stop, we're going to be open to getting attacked by the enemy. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep moving. And he made that decision on his own. Mm. The right decision. He made that decision on his own because he understood the overall objective and the procedures that they would follow and what was most important. Mm. 
So that's a great example of decentralized command. Number seven. Use tanks to take the brunt of the battle. Tanks drove around the anti-tank mines and Bradley's and other vehicles followed in their tracks. Our squadron's S3 tank, commanded by Major Douglas McGregor, hit an anti-tank mine, but the blast damaged the tank only slightly. It continued the attack and made a repair when we halted. We ran over anti-personnel mines, but they sounded like microwave popcorn popping and had no effect on armored vehicles. The rate of our fire of our tanks allowed enemy tanks to fire only two errant main gun rounds at the outset of the battle and two later as the troop assaulted. Enemy machine gun fire had no effect on the troop's advance. The psychological shock of our tanks advancing undaunted toward their defensive positions paralyzed and panicked the enemy. So if you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, I apologize, but tanks are massive. A1 Abrams tanks are massive, and they have extremely heavy armor. They're 68 tons, and as he's saying here, these even the anti-tank mines aren't 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 stopping the tanks and the the anti-personnel just is nothing but Bradley's are smaller not as big not as big and not as heavily armored so the the tanks are laying down you know driving and then the Bradley's are just falling in their tracks in case they hit any mines they're the the, they would hit the Abrams tank but what so what I take about so how can we apply this to you know everyday life how can we apply this to business you know, they're saying technically, specifically, use tanks to take the brunt of the battle, right? This, this is the way I look at this. From a business perspective and from a life perspective, play to your strengths, right? What is the strongest thing they've got are these tanks. And it's the same thing that we run into in business, and it's the same thing you run into in life and jujitsu everywhere. What are you what are you strong at? What are your strong areas? That's what you focus on. That's what you use to lead your your advance. Now, do we train for our weaknesses? Absolutely. You know, we do that all the time. Do we do we when we have a weakness in a business, we don't go, hey, let's just cover this up. No, we we focus on it so that we can prove it. But if we're going to go to market with something, let's go to market with something that we're good at. Yeah. Right? If we're going to uh, if we're going to try and set up some expansion into a new area, let's set up the expansion into a new area that we're familiar with, that we're good at, that we're strong in. Let's not say, "Hey, you know what? We've been making we've been making cars for the last 50 years. Let's go over here and make computers." No. We're going to make cars? Okay, let's make trucks too. We know how to build vehicles. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And, it's, and you see this all the time with jiu-jitsu. What do jiu-jitsu guys do? What they should do, which is try and try and play to your strengths, right? Yeah. In, in competition. In competition, yeah. right? Of course, when we're, when we're training, we pray to our weaknesses, yeah. right? We want to, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't like people being across side. Cool, let them get across side. Yeah. Well, I don't like being on the bottom. Cool. 
I'm gonna be on the bottom. Yeah. But in competition, what are you good at? <laughs> yeah. How do you get the person to play your game? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah, and that's everything too, right? Like even everything. at work, you're gonna train the new guys, but you're not gonna send the new guy, you know, to make contact with the you know potential client or the something. The big client. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't send the new guy, send the yeah. strongest, send the tank. Yeah. Send the M one Abrams yeah. to yeah. meet the new client that's yeah. got big potential. Yeah. So play to your strengths. Use tanks to take the brunt of the battle. Next, be prepared for misfires and degraded operations. Lieutenant Jeff DeSefanto's tank crew came around the village, destroyed an enemy tank, and acquired a second tank at very close range that was traversing on them. A round got stuck in the breach of the cannon, meaning this, this cannon's not going to shoot anymore. The loader grabbed hold of the loader's hatch, kicked the round in, the breach came up, and the gunner, Sergeant Matthew Clark, destroyed the T-72. In another example, Staff Sergeant Digby ordered Private First Class Charles Bertubin to reload tow missiles. Bertubin could not get the cargo hatch open, however. When the lightweight wrestler as a wrestler, good for him, kicked the hatch release, he sheared it off. Rather than tell Bradley, his Bradley commander that he could not get the toes reloaded, he jumped out of the back door while the vehicle was under small arms and machine gun fire. He climbed onto the back of the Bradley, loaded both missiles, then tapped the, his Bradley commander on the shoulder while yelling, toes are up. Staff Sergeant Digby nearly jumped out of his skin because he thought an Iraqi had climbed onto the Bradley. So here's these little malfunctions going on with your weapons, and what do you do? You deal with it. And <laughs> I think I said this on the last podcast with Leif. We have a little saying. Nothing works, everything sucks, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what you gotta prepare for. You count, if you rely 100% on those radios, those radios aren't gonna work. Mm-hmm. If you rely 100% on your weapon, okay, you better learn those drills. You better learn how to, how to, Fix and adjust your weapon very quickly go to your secondary whatever the case may be you've got to drill those things You got to be ready for problems. You got to be ready for Murphy's law to kick in Mm -hmm. Next number nine Coordinate between platoons and ensure mutual support The burning tanks and personnel carriers of the enemy's first defensive line formed a curtain of smoke that concealed enemy further to the east As our tanks assaulted through the smoke, we saw other enemy armored vehicles and large numbers of infantry running to get back to subsequent trench lines and positions. We destroyed the enemy armored vehicles quickly and shot the infantry with machine guns as we closed the distance with them. Pockets of enemy soldiers threw up their arms. Our soldiers were disciplined. Turrets turned away from any enemy soldier with his hands raised. Tank platoon leaders asked the scout platoons to pick up observation of the enemy infantry as their Bradleys came through the smoke. The scouts saw that the enemy had used a false surrender to gain a better position. Enemy soldiers were reshouldering their rifles and rocket-propelled grenades. Our Bradleys surprised the enemy and killed them before they could engage our tanks effectively. Cover and move. Cover and move. Real simple. That's what that one is. Mutually supporting, that means we're helping each other out. That's what cover and move is. Next, number 10. Take risk to win. 
Because Eagle Troop pressed the assault, the enemy could not respond effectively. Right, that's that you're gonna find that. In any case, you want to get the person on their heels. You want to get your opponent on their heels. As we cleared the westernmost defensive positions, our executive officer, Lieutenant John Gifford, broke in on the radio. I know you don't want to know this right now, but you are at the limit of advance. You are at the 70 easting. I responded, tell them we can't stop, tell them we're in a contact and we have to continue this attack. Tell them I'm sorry. We, that's the part I already covered. We had surprised and shocked the enemy. Stopping would have allowed them to recover. As Erwin Rommel observed in infantry attacks, the man who lies low and awaits developments usually comes off second best. It is fundamentally wrong to halt or to wait for more forces to come up and take part in the action. Eagle Troop continued to attack toward another very subtle ridgeline on the enemy position on which the enemy positioned his reserve, a coil of 18 T-72 tanks. Major Mohammed later told one of our troopers, this is the enemy commander of this unit, Major Mohammed later told one of our troopers that he had not known he was under attack until a soldier ran into his elaborate command bunker yelling, tanks, tanks. By the time he got to his observation post, all the vehicles in defensive positions to the west were in flames. He ordered the reserve behind him to establish a second defensive line. It was too late. Eagle Troop's tank crested the rise and entered their assembly area. The tanks were starting to move out when we destroyed them at close range. So it's not only take risk, it's be aggressive. That's got to be your default mode. Default mode is aggressive. Press that attack. And it, it's interesting when, I mean, clearly it happens in combat. You start getting the upper hand. Keep going. Mm. Keep going. And it happens in jiu-jitsu as well. You know, if you can get that person on the run, you're attacking them with two, three, four different things at the same time, that's mm. when they're done. Mm. And that's a bad feeling. When you're yeah. when that's happening to you, oh, yeah. you're falling behind in the oodle loop. <laughs> and they're just getting getting yeah. all inside your oodle loop. You're defending yeah. something. You feel the other thing happening. Yeah. Not good. But those... Uh, Again, take risk, but yes, be aggressive. Now, those were the lessons from this this one battle. You know, this one battle at 73 Easting. And now, obviously, McMaster stayed in the Army. He went up through the chain of command. And, and now we're going to go to 2005-2006, the Battle of Talifar in Iraq, which... This this battle was led by who is now a colonel McMaster. He was a captain at the time of this seventy three Easting battle. Now he's a commander. He was commanding the third ACR, the third armored cavalry regiment, and this is very similar to the Battle of Ramadi. What happened in Talifar? And the reason, one of the reasons why it's so similar, is that Colonel McFarland, who was the commander of the 1-1 AD that led the fight in Ramadi that I was there to support. The first thing he did when he went back to Iraq, when, when McFarland went back to Iraq for that deployment in 2006, he took over for McMaster. And McMaster was in Talifar, so McFarland shows up in Talifar, and 
says, hey, this is what I did. I did a little something called seize, clear, hold, and build. This is the strategy we do. We pushed into these enemy-controlled territories. And and then it, it had become so pacified in Talifar that they were able to take most of the 1-1 AD and send them down to Ramadi. And when they got down to Ramadi, McFarland, who's a brilliant guy, had listened to everything McMaster said, looked at how he did it, and then applied the same strategy in Ramadi. Now, he had to make adjustments to it, for sure, because it wasn't exactly the same, but luckily he was a smart, creative guy that said, oh, we gotta make these adjustments, but he did it. But the, the overall concept came from what, McMa- from what McMaster did up in Talafar. And so there was an article in the New Yorker written by a guy named George Packer, and the article is called The Lesson of Talafar. Is it too late for the administration to correct its course in Iraq? And this this article came out April 10th, 2006, probably three or four days before I arrived in Ramadi in 2006. So that's when this article came out. And you can see, he's saying, hey look, is it too late to correct the course? Well actually, um, a lot of people in 2006 weren't even admitting that we were on the wrong course. You know, because what we were doing at that time, and I've talked about this a bunch, what America had been doing at that time is is going out, grabbing bad guys, one at a time, two at a time, and bringing them back to base and putting them, arresting them, capture kill missions. And what, what's interesting is that's 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 an attrition. That's a war of attrition. Right, you have a certain number of bad guys, we're gonna go catch them all. And it really wasn't working. <laughs> it really wasn't working, that's why in 2005, 2006, enemy attacks were up 300%. And you know, 2005, 2006, our whole country, well I shouldn't say our whole country, but many people in our country, including a lot of major politicians, were saying it was unwinnable, and you know, we, we just need to get out, it was a quagmire and all that stuff. So that's, because we were not on the right strategy. And actually, if you take this and you apply it back to Hackworth, when he basically said during the end of the Vietnam War, and he said, look, we're not gonna win. He wasn't talking about we couldn't win. He was saying we're, we're fighting the wrong kind of tactics. We're doing the wrong thing here. You keep saying, hey, what's our body count? What's our body count? What's our body count? That's a war of attrition. Hey, we lost this many guys. You lost that many. That's an attrition warfare. It's World War One. I. I mean, I always use World War One as the classic attrition warfare. Hey, we're going to go over the trench. We're going to kill as many of you as you can, and hopefully, it's less than us. And we're going to see who can last longer. Mm. That's a punchy. That's that's. Hey, Echo. We're just going to stand here. You punch me. I'll punch you. You punch me, and whoever goes down, you know, loses. Well, guess what? What do we look like at the end of that? We're all beat up. Right. Yeah. Both of us. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how good we are. So these guys were thinking maybe instead of doing punches to the face, we should do a little jujitsu, a little something a little bit more more tactically sound. And it wasn't just go out, grab bad guys, just go out and try and kill bad guys because we learned 2003, 2004, 2005, that's three years of doing those type of operations and real progress wasn't being made. It certainly wasn't made in, in Ramadi at this point. Again, there was guys that were doing incredible work and you do have to go out and and attack the bad guys and go after those critical nodes for sure but we were focused so much on that that we were ignoring a lot of what was happening with the populace and and politically other other areas that needed to be addressed so this article came out 
and again it's from the New Yorker written by George Packer came out April 10th 2006 and here's we're going to this article back to the article the lesson that McMaster and his soldiers applied in Talifar were learned during the first two years of an increasingly unpopular war when we came to Iraq we didn't understand the complexity what it meant for a society to live under a brutal dictatorship with ethnic and sectarian divisions he said in his coarse, energetic voice. When we first got here, we made a lot of mistakes. We were like a blind man, trying to do the right thing, but breaking a lot of things. Later he said, you gotta come in with your ears open. You can't come in and start talking, you really have to listen to people. I mean, okay, that is just, this whole thing is just a a great summary of a humble man right he's saying look when we came here we didn't understand the complexity that's humility he says we didn't understand what it was like to live under a brutal dictatorship that's humble he says when we first got here we made a lot of mistakes he's not saying oh we did everything right no we made a lot of mistakes we were like a blind man trying to do the right thing but breaking a lot of things so they're trying he admits that we're trying but we were breaking a lot of stuff. Later he said, listen to this, you gotta come in with your ears open, you can't come in and start talking. Okay, leaders around the world, pay attention to that right there. You don't need to come in and start talking. Come in with your ears open and listen. And he says you really have to listen to people. Very clear, very great leadership guidance right there. Back to the article. They didn't even want to say the I word, one officer told me. It was the specter of Vietnam. They did not want to say the insurgency word because the next word you say is quagmire. The next thing you say is the only war America has lost, Vietnam. And the next thing you conclude is that certain people's vision of war is wrong. So. We had a hard time, again, just as America, admitting, hey, this isn't just a bunch of thugs running around. There's an organized insurgency here. We need to fight it like an insurgency. We had a hard time making that mental transition as a nation. And I'll tell you, when I, I've told this story before. When I got to Ramadi and I looked at what was going on, I literally read the counterinsurgency manual that was written by, basically by General Petraeus, who's a brilliant guy, and these guys, McMaster, I think McFarland, they all helped him write that article or write that book. So this was a totally different attitude. And you know, you hear it here that people people back in DC <laughs> they didn't even want to use the word insurgency. They didn't want to use that word. Because mm. it, it makes everyone think of Nam. Mm. And we lost, right? So the article, um, going going a little bit deeper on that, back to the article. The Pentagon strategy in 2003 and 2004 was to capture, was to combat the insurgency simply by eliminating insurgents, an approach called kill capture. Kalev Sepp, a retired special forces officer who now teaches at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California, said of the method, it's all about hunting people. I think it comes directly from the Secretary of Defense. I want heads on a plate. So he's talking about Rumsfeld right there. You'll get some people that way. 
But the failure of that approach is evident. They get Hussein. They get his sons. They continue to work every week to kill more, capture more. They've got facilities full of thousands of detainees, yet there's more insurgents than there were when we started. In Dereliction of Duty, McMaster wrote that a strategy of attrition was, in essence, the absence of a strategy. What a great line that is, right? And so, so McMaster wrote a very harsh critique of the Vietnam War and the way it was run. Again, not, not a critique of the boots on the ground and the troops that fought, but a critique of those back in D.C. that were running it. And, you know, this is just, a, this is just an incredible statement that a war of attrition is in essence the absence of strategy this is like okay what do you do what do we're just gonna we'll go kill as many of us as we can mm-hmm. okay that's if, the, if that's your strategy not a strategy it's like when you get into an mma fight what's your strategy and the guy goes i'm gonna punch him in the face until i win yeah right that's not a strategy just put my head down and yeah start that's swinging. not a good strategy yeah, yeah. don't don't do that mm. you need to have a little bit more strategy than that <laughs> yeah um, back to the article. If we're not stupid and we don't quit, we can win this thing. And again, what's important? This is 2006. This this major McLaughlin, McLaughlin, he's another person that's interviewed in this article. He's talking about like we could lose this thing, right? Mm. So if we're not stupid and we don't quit, we can win this thing. Major Major McLaughlin said, "History teaches you that war, at its heart, is a human endeavor." And if you ignore the human side, yours, the enemies, and the civilians, you set yourself up for failure. It's not about weapons. It's about people. That's very, it's very true. And I'll tell you where it's true. It's true in war, clearly. And it's true in business, too. And you get people that don't understand the human side of business Mm -hmm. they don't understand that they're dealing with human beings and they treat people like numbers Mm -hmm. they're not going to be successful now you also get people that go so far in 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 the other direction that all they care about is their people and guess what now they're making bad business decisions and they're hiring more people and they're keeping them they're not letting anyone go and they're running themselves in the ground because their overhead's too much and they cause destruction but on the other side you've got someone that's like oh no bean counter right nope you, you let that person go, no severance or whatever, limit it. You right. do that methodology, you're going to end up with no business either mm-hmm. because the people, because they're, they're people. Mm-hmm. If you treat them like robots, you're, you're, they're not going to work for you. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna rebel against you. The robot will do what the robot is told, but people aren't robots. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember that human side. And, and obviously in war, and that's, that's one of the reasons that we're able, if we're able to talk about this stuff to businesses. We're able to talk about combat leadership to businesses. The first, oftentimes, the first thing that the business that's bringing us on has to get a grip on is the fact that we were in charge of people, not Terminator robots, right? Yeah. We, we Leif and I use that term all the time. The people think, oh, you're in the military. Oh, you run the Navy SEALs. Oh, they do whatever you do. No, no, not mm. true. They're people. Yeah. And guess what? The enemy are people Mm. they have thoughts they have passions they have desires and guess what the civilian populace that you're working amongst 
those are human beings too. And they're not just going to listen to what you say. And you can't just, for instance, you can't just throw money at them. Yeah. Right? You can't just throw money at them. Yeah. They don't care about that money. You, you know, it was really interesting. I, I, I talked about this, this news story I saw on Vice News of a guy going into, he, he was a, and I don't remember the reporter's name, but he's a young reporter, spoke Arabic, and he goes into Ramadi while it was surrounded by ISIS. And ISIS was getting ready to take over. And he's saying, hey, he's talking to just normal people. And he's talking to this one guy, and he says, you know, the guy's saying, look, we really need help. We hope America comes back. And the reporter says, well, why don't you just leave? You know, why don't you get out of here? And the guy says, I live here. <laughs> right? Yeah. I live here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. That's a human, right? That's mm-hmm. a human. That's a sentimental value. Yeah. It's like my house that I live in. You're not going to take my house from me. Yeah. Like, like if you... if." People came to try and take my house away from me. There'd be a fight, yeah. and and it wouldn't end well for anybody. No. That's sentimental, mm-hmm. right? So you have to remember that these human beings are human beings, mm-hmm. and that's the one of the key things that that McMaster really McMaster really understood, really understood this fact. And, and, you know, I'm giving a lot of credit to McMaster, but there's a lot of, I mean, there's way more guys that I'm talking about that I don't have them not going through their names, but there's a lot of guys that contributed to this idea and did an outstanding job. Um, you know, he's getting the credit because he's the guy in charge, right? I'm giving him some credit because he's the guy in charge. But I guarantee if you asked him, he'd say, well, no, I had this captain that did this, and I had this major that did that, and he had all these people. But he's the guy, just like if something's gone wrong, he'd be responsible. Well, some stuff went right, so you get the credit there, General. Now, he wrote these these four fallacies of warfare, which I find very, very interesting. And so we learned kind of the tactical side of what he learned from his battle at the 73 Eastings, Easting, you know, he had 10 lessons learned, pretty tactical stuff, right? Now we're getting into a little bit more strategic level. We're talking about war as a broad, in a broad sense. And so here's what he says about these four fallacies of war, warfare. There are four fallacies about future war that are preventing us from learning from our most recent experiences. McMaster said, these fallacies are portrayed in such a way that they reduce risk to United States interest when in fact they exacerbate risk because they over rely on capabilities and they purposely ignore continuities in the nature of war. Okay, so he's saying, look, the the way they portray these things is it makes everything good for America, but they actually make things worse for America because they ignore things in war that are always the same. This is war we're talking about. The nature of war does not change. Okay, his first fallacy. The vampire fallacy. It's a vampire fallacy. It's a vampire because you can't kill it and it comes back every 10 years. This is the belief that a narrow range of technological capabilities will deliver fast, cheap, and efficient victory in future war. The latest manifestation is the belief in a new range of technological capabilities, everything from big data analytics to artificial intelligence to drones and robotics and so forth. So, so 
what does that mean we have an idea that we can as a as a nation just we were so so technologically advanced that nothing can stand up to us and we can just use these precision weapons to take out enemy targets and then it's over it's a fallacy it's a vampire it's gonna come back you can't just kill it it's gonna come back and you know obviously we've seen we saw that in Iraq we had all kinds of technological advances over the enemy but they continued to come back and when we walked away they came back strong they were called Isis now I think that's pretty self-evident what that means now what does this mean in business and in in life well to me what this means is there's no easy solution there's no easy solution to things right we look at something we go oh we can just do this we can just use some certain new technology or we can just use some app Mm. right oh if I get an app to track my diet then I'll be good to go no (laughs) gotta stop putting the sugar in your mouth to be good to go people want the shortcut they want to they, they think that there's an easy way to get things done and there's not you have to do the work there's a vampire out there what you got to do is you got to grab that vampire you got to cut its head off you got to soak it in holy water and then you got to dry its bones out in the sun that's what kills a vampire all right that's the attitude you have to take you can't just think there's going to be a shortcut we'll be able to we'll be through with this vampire you know tomorrow because I have a, a, a cool gun I'm gonna shoot him no bullets don't kill him gotta go harder yeah I think the correct way to kill a vampire isn't to cut his head off it's the it's the wooden stake into the heart that's I think you might be thinking of Medusa or something okay just kind of FYI the holy water part was correct though yeah just just so FYI I don't I don't mean to call you out here <laughs> I, okay. I actually googled how to kill a vampire no nah, that's wrong though mythology is, uh, says otherwise you, you stick a wooden stake in his heart crucifix will get him if you have faith sunlight will kill him so that was correct holy water holy water will get him for sure yeah right. and um yeah Staying let corrected. him dry in the yeah i don't know what what website said cut his head off uh oh don't trust google lesson learned see yeah. you know what i did right there oh. took a shortcut Oh yeah, I took. I I thought it was a vampire. Just Google it real quick. We're right. good to go. You know what you did? This is what this is my what I think you did. I think you Googled it, which is fine. But here's the thing about Googling something: Googling is not the answer. Yeah. It's what you find from Google. And if you just go for the first one or the the one that looks like but the most. Do simple. you see the iron the, the irony, irony here? Yeah. Oh. Is that I tried to take a shortcut and I'm wrong. And that's the same. That's the vampire fallacy in its in own it's right. The, exactly. Yeah. Boom. Exactly. There it is. Right. Proves the point. All right. Next. The Zero Dark Thirty fallacy, and that's the name of a movie about the the killing of Bin Laden. This is the idea, the Zero Dark Thirty fallacy, this is the idea that all you have to gain, to do to gain a victory in war is to gain visibility of an enemy's network structure and then conduct raids against that network, either with special operations forces or nodes. So the problem with both these fallacies, of course, 
They represent important capabilities you need to have. But these are capabilities that masquerade as strategies and simple solutions to the complex problem of war. Neglecting war's political nature, neglecting war's human nature, neglecting war's inherent uncertainty based on the interactive nature, and finally, neglecting that it is ultimately a contest of wills. So, the idea that you can, again, it's attrition warfare. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I never really looked at this as attrition warfare until I was reading, researching for this podcast. I never, I always said, hey, you know, it's raid mentality. Hey, we can just capture all the bad guys. But to say, yes, that's attrition warfare, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And especially for me, because I, I look at World War I as so awful, and it's an example of attrition warfare, and that's what makes it so bad. This is attrition warfare too. Hey, we're just going to capture or kill all the bad guys. How do you do that? What we're forgetting is, <laughs> what about this line? When you do that, when you just say, hey, look, all we need to do is, is capture, kill the bad guys, this is what you do. You masquerade this, that capability to be able to do that, which is an awesome capability. Awesome capability. But that, mas- that capability masquerades as a strategy. And what you listen to the things that you forget about. This list is classic. The complex problem of war. You neglect war's political nature, human nature, inherent uncertainty, interactive nature, and you neglect that it's a contest of wills. So that's, and there's some great YouTube videos where McMaster's talking about that big lesson, learning that this raid mentality was, it's part part of the way you defeat an insurgency. Part of the way you defeat an insurgency is Capture killing the bad guys. It's awesome. Mm. But there's so much more you have to address. That's like saying, hey, the way you win in jiu-jitsu is to arm lock the person. You could even say as broad as the way you win in jiu-jitsu is to submit somebody. Mm. Right? So if I taught you every submission I knew, but I didn't teach you how to transition, didn't teach you how to positions, you would, you, there's no way you could win. Mm. It's the same thing. Is submission important? Yes. That's what a raid is. A raid is the submission. It's one piece of it. It's not the whole game, though. It's not the whole game. And I think that's what he's making very clear here through that Zero Dark Thirty fallacy. Next one is the Wild Kingdom fallacy. Back when America was wholesome, there was no reality TV, no Kardashians, or anything. So, on Sunday nights... American families would watch this wildlife show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And that show, what happened on that show is the host, Marlon Perkins, would send his assistant, Jim, to conduct exotic and occasionally dangerous field work. This is the belief that we could be like Marlon and just get Jim or other militaries to do our fighting for us. And this is a way in the minds of some people to reduce risk, but it actually increases risks because you are relying on other people whose interests are oftentimes incongruent with your own interests. And not only don't have the capability to fight and do what you need to do, but oftentimes don't have the will to do it. So, He's saying this idea that we can just, hey, we'll just have the Iraqis do it. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good idea, right? Because I don't want my guys to get hurt or killed. Mm -hmm. 
There's a problem with that. The problem is they can't do what we do. They can't do it as well as we do it. And they probably don't have the will to do it. Now, credit to the Iraqis right now. They're moving through Missoula. They're getting after it. They're, they're heavily backed by American forces. But they're, they're taking the lead for sure. So, but when we were in Ramadi, those guys didn't have the will that we had. They didn't, didn't mean as much to them. If you can believe that, I know it sounds crazy. We had a battalion of Iraqi soldiers, talking about this with Leif, we had a battalion of Iraqi soldiers, so 500 Iraqi soldiers that had come to Ramadi as, to, to help out in the fight, they left. They abandoned. They quit. A battalion of Iraqi soldiers. And here's the weird thing. The reason they brought this battalion in, one, we needed more manpower. Number two, they were Sunni. So Ramadi was a Sunni city, and bulk of the army at the time was Shia. So the Shias coming in and fighting in Ramadi, sometimes the Sunnis would say, hey, hey, wait a second. Why are these Shias in here? Mm. So the idea was to bring the Sunnis in to help. Mm. And the Sunnis got scared. The, The Sunni battalion got scared and left. And one of the reasons they said, well, it's in a Sunni city. And I just said, wait, wait a second. Well, that's the whole point. These are your people. These are other Sunnis that are getting murdered by insurgents. Mm. So it was just, it, it was a tough situation. And my point in saying that, and there's a whole, there's a whole another discussion we could have on that. But the point is that in order to win that fight, we had to be on the ground. The Iraqis were not going to do it by themselves. They were not going to. And that's what this fallacy is. Hey, that if we just direct other people to do it, then we'll be good to go. And we don't have to take any risk. Now, again, how does that translate to what we do? You know, business? How does that translate to business? How does that translate to life? For me, it's real simple. The important things that you got to do, you got to do. The, the hard things that you got to do, you got to do. Mm. You know, it, okay, Tim Ferriss, can we outsource some stuff? Yes, we can. Don't worry, Tim. We'll outsource some stuff. But the important stuff, you have to do. You got to do it. You got to do it yourself. If it really means something, you have to do it. You have to have the will and you have to make it happen. Because if I outsource something to somebody, if I say, hey, I really don't feel like reading this book. You know, I really don't feel, feel like reading this book for the podcast. Can you read this for me? Well, yeah, somebody's going to read it, but they're not going to have my perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to give me some notes and I'm going to sit here and read them. Yeah. We're not going to get the product that we need mm-hmm. because that's important. I have to do the work myself. No one can, I can't outsource that piece. Can't do it. There's actually been people that said like, hey, I can read the books for you and give you notes. I'm like, hey, I appreciate the offer. No, yeah. I got to read it. Yeah. I got to do the hard part. Yeah, and how you say it. Trying like, to outsource that stuff, Echo Charles. No, no, no. Not keep it in-house for sure. The the congruency of, of interest, you know, that's mm. a big one. Because you yeah. can even think that the person has the, the same interest. And really, you both can think that, but just maybe in a different way, especially when you're thinking creatively. Like how you present this and what parts you think are important right. are going to be slightly different. Even if the person has the same interest as you, right. it's going to be different. Yep. So then at the end of the day, when you expect a certain result, it's going to be different. Yeah. You let yourself down. Yeah, man. you know, I just somebody just wrote, because we're doing Musashi, which is a mm-hmm. giant book, and someone was highlighting Musashi the other day. 
and kind of took a picture of it and he said you know I wonder how close Jocko's highlights are right. gonna be to my highlights yes, exactly. and you know what they're gonna be close they might even be right on maybe but they might not be yeah and I'm I can't say hey bro send me your book and your notes and then we'll do the podcast and I'm just gonna cheat <laughs> can't do that <laughs> yeah. just like you can't say hey you know what Iraqi forces that aren't ready that don't have the same here's the big problem with the Iraqi forces at the time the Iraqi forces at the time didn't have a vision of what their country could be like. Mm. So, so think about that. We Americans, we had, we had inherently, being from America, we have a vision of what freedom is like. We, yeah. we know what that is. Mm-hmm. Iraqi soldiers didn't know what that is. Yeah. They, they thought, man, they lived under, under Saddam for their whole lives. I mean, all the soldiers that we worked with lived under Saddam their whole lives. That's all they knew. So for them... We say no. You're going to have freedom. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what, what that does means. that even mean. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. We're we're thinking, hey, don't worry. These guys will fight. They're going to fight for their freedom. They're going to yeah. fight for their Sunni brothers. They're going to fight for their Iraq. They're kind of like we don't even know. They didn't even really have a good vision of what Iraq is. Mm-hmm. Iraq is a country that used to be underneath Saddam, and now it's not. And we don't know what that means. We don't know what that looks like. We Americans had a vision of what that looked like. They didn't have it. So how are they going to fight for it? So to your point, they don't see what we see. Yeah, they had a different opinion. Yeah. So who's got to go on there and and have and who's going to have the will to fight? The answer is us yeah. in that particular case. And it's the same thing right now. Like even in Missoula, even in the last time when Ramadi was taken back by by the Iraqi forces, good good on them. Props to the Iraqi forces right now. They're backed up by Americans. Americans are, are saying, hey, look, this is the vision. This is what you're going to do. Yeah. This is how we're going to take this part of it. And that is the big difference of why they didn't have the will. They didn't understand what they were fighting for. And mm-hmm. you take anybody and put them in that situation. You don't even look at Vietnam War, mm-hmm. right? If you look at the Vietnam War, our, our American soldiers, some of them, you can go watch interviews. You know, they were saying, I don't know what I'm fighting for. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they, they were actually questioning, I don't know, we know what America's like anymore. Right, it was really reading reading this book by Jim Thompson, uh, you know, longest held POW ever. And when he got back, he was kind of when he got back to America, you know, he was gone from 1964 until 1973. When he got back, when he left, America was fairly conservative and and patriotic. When he gets back, people are burning flags, people are protesting. He he was taken aback by it. And so, so if you took somebody that left for Vietnam in 1970 and America's in turmoil and all that, it's hard to have the same vision that they had had in 1964, which is like, hey, America, we're going to go stop the communists. Mm. Communists are bad. Mm. Communists are bad. But then you start having the American Socialist Party that telling you that communists are good and all of a sudden the kids over there going, hey, look, I don't even know what's going on, but I'm not <laughs> sure I want to die here in this jungle. Yeah. And that's problematic. And it's the same thing with, with the Iraqi soldiers. They just didn't know what they were fighting for. If you asked them what they were fighting for, they might say a paycheck. Yeah. Very few of them would say, I'm fighting for a free and stable Iraq. Yeah. They, very few of them. Now, some of them fought against truly heartfelt, fought against the insurgents. They didn't like the insurgents. Right. The insurgents were murdering people and raping women and torturing people. They didn't like that. And they'd fight hard against them, but that wasn't not everyone experienced that right not everyone saw that mm-hmm. Yeah, so and 
I'm sure they're kind of like you can tell them what you're fighting for, you know, and exactly. and they can answer you. Yeah, but for sure. You don't feel it's like uh, you know, like your dad tells you when you're young. Your dad tells you, "Hey, clean your room. I want this room spick and span." And yeah, you're like you don't get it. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to take this whole mess. I'm just going to put it in the closet just so he'll start, leave me alone, kind of thing, you know. And then meanwhile, the dad, your dad has his vision is like like what's up with you why didn't you clean your room don't you understand kind of thing yep like yeah no you don't you don't understand that your dad's trying to teach you that discipline equals freedom (laughs) my kids were running late this morning going to school Hmm. why are they running late because their rooms are messy well you're running late everything's stressful now when we're heading to school why is that well because your your room is messy lack of discipline lack of discipline causes mental stress mental stress is not freedom yeah, but to your point, even trying to explain to the Iraqi soldiers why they're doing what they're doing mm-hmm. on a really big level like that is difficult. Right. Is difficult. Now, occasionally you get a good leader. There was some. There were some good leaders. There was one of the generals that the Delta Platoon commander worked with. He was a good dude. Mm-hmm. He was a good leader. And and the Delta Platoon commander actually had some really good Iraqi scouts as well that really believed in what they were doing. And I know that be uh, the reason I differentiate a little bit. The Delta Platoon commander worked very consistently with the same guys a bunch mm-hmm. as as Leif was working with multiple different groups. So the Delta Platoon commander had some more tight relationships with some of those guys. Leif did too. Mm-hmm. But anyways, some of those guys understood what they were fighting for. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to just, like you said, explain what freedom is. Yeah. And the other piece of it is, in the in those situations, explaining what freedom is is still no guarantee at all right. that freedom is coming your way. These guys have been through so much turmoil. Mm. That country's been through so much turmoil. They're like, hey, you know what? We don't even know. You can promise us that, but doesn't seem like we're doing too well. Yeah. H- how do we know you're going to win? How do we know we're going to win? We don't mm. know that. So you know what I'm going to do? Lay low. Yeah. See where this thing falls, mm. and then I'll then I'll step up once I know who's going to win. Yeah. Tough. Next, the RSVP fallacy. Thank you for the kind invitation to the war, but the United States regrets it is unable to attend. This is the belief that you can just opt out of war. It's a narcissistic approach to war, which we define only war in relation to us and what we'd like to do. So this idea that you can just be opt out doesn't work. The, the, the bottom line there is that you got to get in the game. Mm-hmm. The game's going to take place. The game's going to happen. And you're going to be affected by it. That's the key point. Mm. It's not a game that takes place on a field. It's a game that takes place on a field and expands out into the crowd, into the stands, into the town, and stuff starts, stuff starts getting burned. Yeah. And riots take place. So you have to get in the game. That was the that was the fourth fallacy of war. Now, I, I think that all those really show not just how smart McMaster is, but also how open-minded he is, which is a very important quality. I also think he's a realist. He's a realist and looks at things in a very real way. You know, this is the what's happening, and this is what we need to do to deal with it, and. Also, what's great about McMaster is that he he's not afraid to speak his mind, mm. and he's 
got kind of got in trouble for that along the way. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how McMaster handles all the challenges that are ahead of him right now, not only in DC, but in the world. So it's going to be interesting, and we wish him, or I certainly wish him, the best of luck in that pursuit. So leading off a little McMaster, and um, think about going to a little Q&A at this time. Sure. It's been a little while since we did Q&A here. Yeah. I've been doing Facebook Live. Hell yeah. And when I've been doing Facebook Live, I've not, I, I'm purposely not preparing at all. That's my goal. My goal is to not prepare at all. Because, and, and the, the second or the, yeah, it was the second one that I did, I started looking at the questions ahead of time. And I was saying, okay, well, maybe I'll just take a couple notes here. Maybe <laughs> and all of a sudden I started preparing for Facebook Live. Mm. And then I realized if I'm going to prepare, I'll make it the podcast. So, no, don't prepare. Facebook Live, ask me your question, and I'll answer it there on the spot. It's fun. It's different, right? It's easier. Mm -hmm. I can't do two podcasts a week because don't have time to prepare for them. Mm -hmm. But can you Facebook Live? You can slide that thing in. Doesn't preparing for a live thing with the dynamics of Facebook Live, doesn't that defeat the live kind of purpose in a way? It, it does, but we could do this podcast on Facebook Live. So we could yeah. prepare it and we could put it on Facebook Live. We could right, do right. that, but then it would be a rehash of what we're doing. Right. And the other piece of it is, is I think the Facebook Live is a way of people seeing a little bit more of me as a normal human being. right? and not me as a guy with all the answers on stuff like no you asked me a question I don't really know you know what I mean yeah and and also you know obviously on this podcast is is usually pretty serious and so I'm not like that all the time so wow. maybe they could see well I, I, I have a serious side no doubt sure but I'm not like that all the time yeah so I think Facebook live is a good way to say and plus, I don't want to answer some questions here be, for a couple of reasons. Number one, man, when somebody listens to the podcast, I want to make sure they're getting something right. of qual- high quality, right? Yeah. Not not just some fluff, right? Yeah. We're not doing fluff here. If we need to do fluff on the podcast, we just won't do the podcast mm. because I don't I don't want somebody to press play and waste time. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't mind. Fluffing around and talking smack on Facebook live because it's that's what it is. It's an open forum We're gonna have some fun. We're gonna get after it a little bit But it's not gonna be super heavy because if you want that come here get your podcast on you know Yes, kind of more lightened up a little bit. Yeah, it's not like that's It's not like I said, okay, hmm Let's see. I need to show them my light side. No, but if you talk to me live Right, right. It, it, it's like when Jody came on. <laughs> Jody came on like after we were hanging out for for like an hour. He's like, "Yeah, man, when I was coming down, I just thought you were gonna be like full on psycho the whole time." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not full on psycho the whole time." Yeah, you know, yeah, no, no, if we're no. eating a burger, we're good. I'm not gonna be sitting there while I'm yeah. eating a burger saying, "Let me tell you what." No, 
I don't yeah. want to do that when I'm eating a burger. No, I want to no. enjoy that burger. Yeah, makes sense. But yeah, if it's a live Q and A, you know how like at like the muster or yeah. you know when you guys okay, we're gonna do some Q and A. That's an example of like a live Q and A. You don't prepare for those questions, nope. you know. So and and and, and also, what's interesting about those questions is those I've given some. I mean, if you think about any of the podcasts that I've gone on, mm. Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, Sam Harris, the, those those guys asked me some heavy questions, yeah. right? Those guys weren't just asking me; we weren't just BSing. Right. right during those, so um, there's no guarantee that I'm not going to get get a little bit serious on Facebook Live or whatever. I'm going to do I'm going to do what people ask me. Right. Yeah. But yeah, during the muster, could we do a lot of Q and A during the muster? We get all kinds of questions. There's some really funny questions that require funny responses. Right. There's also some some real serious ones that require very serious answers, and. What's interesting is this happens on Twitter too. Somebody asked me some dead serious question, like a very serious, you know, something that's emotional to me, like about losing guys, or or something like that. Guys killed in combat, and I'll I'll respond to it, and then two tweets later, someone says, you know, I'm gonna have some mint chocolate chip ice cream tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. so you go through these. If someone's reading, they must think I'm schizophrenic because I'm answering real serious. Then it's real light, and then it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, the roller coaster, man. Yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster on the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! All right. So Q and A. Q and A. Echo Charles. Right. Back in the game. Back in the game. All right. So yeah, first question, Jocko, and Echo. Should you defend bad leaders? Aka your superiors to your men. Think about that question. This yeah. is a good. It's a good question, and we haven't done Q and A in a while, and that's why I want to start off. Think about that. Should you defend bad leaders that are people that are in charge of you? Should you defend them to your men? Mm-hmm. Now, this is really a perfect example of the dichotomy of leadership. And this is one of those situations that makes leadership very, very hard because it requires a nuanced balance to handle this correctly. So, on the one hand, if we if we say our boss is a bad leader and doesn't know what he's doing, don't forget, oh, the boss, hey, Echo, our boss doesn't know what he's doing, he's an idiot, we undermine his authority for sure, and we undermine the authority of the whole chain of command. Yeah. So, should you call out when someone sucks? You say, oh, that guy sucks, he's terrible. Should you do that to your leader? The answer is no. You can't do that. You can't do that because you're undermining everything. So you got a horrible leader? You can't just sit there to your boys and say, hey, this guy's an idiot. Mm. Can't do that. However, if you give full support to this horrible boss, then your troops, who know a good leader from a bad leader, they know what's stupid and what isn't. They know this, they know this. And if you are sitting there backing them 100%, then they're gonna know that you either actually agree with the bad leader, which is bad, or that you're too weak to stand up and say, hey boss, what we're doing is wrong. So, you can't go to one extreme, the boss is an idiot, you can't go to the other extreme, 
the boss is awesome. Think about how hard that is. Think about what I'm saying. This is very, very challenging. So what can you do? Well, okay, first of all, as a subordinate leader, it is your duty to push back, right? To, to say, hey, boss, I think we're doing the wrong thing here. And, and this is why we spend a lot of time trying to build relationships with our bosses so that we can have candid conversations with them, yeah. right? Sometimes it's hard to do that. It is, I understand. But when you have built a relationship, then you can go to your boss and say, hey, look, this isn't, this isn't good. Now, once you've done that, then you can go to your, you go to your, your troops and you say, hey, look, I went to the boss. This is what I told him. You know, I told him that, hey, doing this method isn't going to work well. He explained to me while we're doing it. This is what he said. So this is why we're using this method. I know it's not popular with you guys, but it's, it's, here's the reason why we're doing it. So, so you made progress, right? Your guys are saying, okay, well, he at least stood up to the man. Mm-hmm. And now he gave us an answer. He told us why we're doing what we're doing. So that's good too. But the other thing is, one of the easiest way to do this is to provide an honest opinion. Truth. Truth is going to be your friend here. Truth is going to be your friend. Now, I should, I should put a caveat around that. Because the truth might be, you think your boss is a complete idiot and everything he's saying is stupid. Okay, so I, I take it back. <laughs> Don't use full-on truth. And th- th- this, is so, this is so interesting, too, because clearly truthfulness is a huge, you know, uh, it's a value that I hold very dear, right? And you got to be truthful and all that. I'm telling you right now, do not be true. If you think your boss is an idiot and you think the method that he's picking or the plan he's got is stupid, mm. don't be truthful with your guys and go down there and say, boss is an idiot. It's not going to help your team, right? Yeah. We have to be smart about what we're doing. But when you, when you do that, what you need to do is keep it somewhere in the middle, okay? So it, it, when you say something negative, don't get all crazy with the negative. Don't get all nuts <laughs> with the negative. What you want to do is say, so you say something like, hey, look, I'm, I'm sure there's some better ways of doing this, but this is the decision that was made and we need to make it work, right? So I'm not saying it's horrible. I'm just saying, look, hey, guys, I'm sure there's some better ways, but guess what? This is what we are being told to do right now, and we're going to do the best we can. Mm-hmm. Notice that I'm putting it from like them to the we. I'm, making, I'm taking ownership of it. This is now ours to execute. Yeah. So you want to do that, or and and I also want to focus more on as much as I can. I want to focus on not the personality of the boss, but I want to focus on like the what we're being told type yeah, thing or what yeah. the mission is. Because uh-huh. I don't want to bring. I want to keep the personality of the boss at bay. Sometimes you get a boss that has such a raging asshole personality that you have to say something like you just yeah. you have to explain and that's when even then you want to ratchet it down a little bit you don't say hey the boss is an asshole yeah the boss is an idiot no you don't say that you know you say hey look guys I know the boss is is not exactly perfect but I think he means well with what he's trying to do and that way we need to focus for that reason we need to focus on executing because it's not gonna help us to sit here and complain about the boss he might not have the greatest personality but you know what his intention is good, so let's support him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something like that, where you're not you're not giving him full support, but you're not completely throwing him under the bus. Again, this is so hard to do because, let's face it, the boys, the troops, they know what's up. 
<laughs> they know when that boss is an idiot. They know when he's unprofessional. They know when he treats you like shit. They know that stuff. And so if you bow down, if you break and you give that to him, yes, you're right, the boss is a jerk. Yes, you're right, the boss treats people like shit. Yeah, if you give them that, you're, you're hurting the situation. Mm. And that's why also when you're in a leadership position, your job oftentimes is to buffer between the jerk boss and the boys. You don't, mm-hmm. the boys should never know that the, the kind of stupid harassment that you get from your boss, the boys should never know that. Mm-hmm. They should think, hey, Jocko says this guy's good to go, we're good to go. Yeah. They should never think that this guy's an idiot. Yeah. So, again, in both cases, it's like you can't go hardcore, you can't go hardcore against either the plan or the person but you also at the same time you need to give a little bit of a pressure release just a little bit of a pressure release you know you got to give them just enough that they go you know what you want them to think you want them to think hey jocko gets it he knows mm-hmm. he's not admitting it to us and good on him he's mm-hmm. he's keeping it professional they know I, they they know that jocko they, they know i don't love the boss but they know i'm keeping it professional so Therefore, they they accept what I'm saying, and they stay part of the team. Yeah, it kind of feels like I'm kind of imagining myself as one of the boys. Right, you're my boss, and we don't really like your boss. Right, I feel like sure. If I was made to feel better in whatever way, just a little bit better, that pressure release I said, Mm -hmm. just a little bit better about the the mission. Okay. And I trust you because of how you always handle things or whatever. You know what? All right. It's not the best, funnest, whatever. Right, it's right. not my first choice. But at least we're doing it together. You yep. know, I trust you. And all right, let's do this kind of thing. And, and one of the key things you just said is trust. So if you trust me and the boss is saying to do something completely ridiculous and I come down and say, Echo, guess what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to dig this hole and then we're going to fill it back in and we're going to do it six times today. Let's get to work. And you know it's stupid. Yeah. And I come down and try and sell that to you yeah. without any explanation. With that voice? Uh, yeah, with that voice, yeah. I'm going to lose trust. Yeah. You're, gonna, you're not going to trust me as much. Now, if I come down and say, hey, hey, boys, hey, bring it in. This is what's going on. Yeah, see, I'm going back to a normal <laughs> voice here. <laughs> going back to the leadership yeah, voice. Yeah, if I yeah. say, hey, guys, here's what's going on. I know this is going to come across as a strange task. We're going to get it done. We got to dig these holes and then we're going to fill them back in. And we're actually going to do this six times today. Again, I know it's a, not exactly what we were planning to do today, but look, let's get after it. Let's get it done. And let's prove to everybody that we can make this happen faster than them. And all of a sudden, we're, we're right. going to get after yeah, it. You know what I mean? It, it's yeah. no factor. Whereas, again, if I go into like a dorky nerd voice and try and say, <laughs> we are going to do this because it's the best plan ever, yeah, you, I'm losing awesome. trust with you. Yeah. I'm actually hurting my trust. So yeah. this is a really, really nuanced thing. And my best advice here is to try and keep it in the middle. Right, yeah. try and keep it, and, and I'll tell you, probably lean a little bit, lean towards being professional, lean towards supporting the chain of command, because mm-hmm. because the guys are gonna know when you give them that little little pressure relief when you say, hey, I know this is co- this is a little bit of a strange plan. As soon as I say that, everyone's like, okay, he understands. Yes, We're yeah, good, exactly. and we'll do yeah. whatever he says. Hey, Jocko, okay, Jocko, we get it. You, yeah. you got it. You got you got to have us do this. Cool, let's do it. Yeah, it's when I come down and say, hmm. And again, you'll realize that this is this is the opposite 
I say all the time, you know, if you come down and say the boss's plan, we got to do this. I always throw that as like the worst possible yeah. leadership is, hey, we got to do this because we were told to do it. Right. That's the worst possible leadership. I'm not saying to do that. What I'm saying is a little pressure relief, just mm-hmm. a little pressure relief of, hey, look, I threw up a different plan. I thought my plan was a little bit better. Boss came up with this this idea. We're going to go for it. It's close enough. Just something like that. Just yeah. like, hey, I know. I know. I dig it, yeah. That's it. Little, little, just give him a little, a little nugget. Yeah, I feel like I would feel if you were to be like, "This is such a dumb plan," and I don't know why we got to do it or whatever. I'd be like, "Wait, wait, then why are we doing yeah, it?" Oh, then? Exactly. You know, you're exactly. you're my boss. Like, why yeah, are we doing it yeah. then? You know, and I wouldn't want to do that. No. So yeah, it's like right in the middle there. It's leaning towards being professional. It's leaning yeah. towards supporting the chain of command. Yeah. With just enough of a pressure relief to 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 have them say. I'll tell go. you a story. It's cool. Go. This is real, real quick. This was in. Dude, ninth, take your time. I want grade. you to tell me the longest story. We're going back to ninth grade. <laughs> no, bring this, it through. And this is kind of it high school it's, and college. It's weird that I even thought of this. So we, we, you know how like in in class, right? This uh, high, early high school freshman. You know, in class, you, you, they're like, "Hey, get into groups. We're going to do this thing." And um, so we got into these groups, and we, and we did some project, little thing during class. We we're done. Halfway through class, we're done and we're about to present. The teacher looks at it and is like, oh, you guys got to do it again. But the teacher doesn't tell everyone. She tells just this one girl, Marla is her name. Marla. Yeah. So Marla comes back from talking to the teacher and she's like, she was kind of the leader. No one does it, but at that point, Mm -hmm. she was kind of the little leader, the liaison between the group and the teacher. So she comes back. She's like, she's like, we got to do it again. And we're and everyone's like, what? She goes, we got to do it again. Like you could tell she had accepted it, but just her being like sighing kind of demonstrated that, hey, she feels the pain too. I dig it. But hey, guys, you know, we're not going to complain. Right? It was just that little subtle thing. But mm-hmm. that's exactly what it did. It kind of it basically accepted the order that none of us really wanted to hear. But at the same time, she demonstrated that, hey, she feels it too, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. let's do it. We did again, of course, and whatever. I don't even know what grade we had. This Got an A plus, I'm sure. <laughs> Marla working her leadership skills on the Yeah, there, it was weird that, I mean, I don't know necessarily that she intended to do that, but that was the exact effect. And you can, thinking back, I can see the, the elements, you know, the yeah. little pressure release was her not saying, don't talk to me like that. She said we got to do it again. You know, she didn't right, like right, right, oppose right. anybody. Right. Her just her little she, th- how, mannerisms. You know what she didn't do? She didn't jump completely on board with the teacher. Yeah, and be like, we got to do this again. It sucked. No, yeah. she was like, hey, look, we got we have to do this again. Yeah. you know what I mean. It was she just, just the tone. She it was perfect it enough. Yeah. and I'll tell you this this question. I'm surprised it took so long to get this question because this is a really really good question, and it also is a incredibly important skill to be able to walk this line and it's tricky to do and it's a very it's it's sort of this might be one of the this is like the type of thing that helped me a lot in when I was in the teams man. was just being able to do this enough cuz you get yeah. able to do some dumb shit in the teams <laughs> man and you know what it's like okay being able to translate a stupid something stupid and give enough pressure relief to, to make guys not just go, Jock was just, you know, company yeah. guy. Yeah. Right? He's a company guy. He just lives, oh, he doesn't stand up for us. No. Actually, mm-hmm. I do. But this is, you know, like Leif t- telling that story about doing paperwork. Where right. I'm like, no, we're going to do all the paperwork. I, I, I went, I held the company line, but like, 
in such a dynamic or such an overboard way that guys were like, okay, yeah, yeah. we're gonna win. <laughs> you yeah. know, this is a competition. Yeah. So that's good times. Yeah, it's like a meet. It, because it seems like okay, all that paperwork. It's it's almost like the paperwork was like an affront. It was like, hey, what? It's right, us right. against them kind of thing. Right, whoever right. told us to do the paperwork, and you were like, yeah, it's yeah, us it against is. them, and, and we're let's win. do this thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's like you take it to the yeah. That's good. That's something I've done. I've actually done that a fair amount. I talked about this story before, but like at officer candidate school, every little stupid rule that they threw at us. I did it to the nth degree and had everyone yeah, in my class yeah, do it to yeah, the nth yeah. degree where they were just going ballistic. Yeah, in, yeah, going ballistic. So a story like that where we're just go, we're gonna take what they're take the order and carry it out to the extreme and take pride in doing <laughs> yeah, that. That yeah, was yeah. another little tactic that got yeah. used by me along the way. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do it so hard you're not even gonna know what your name was. <laughs> That's another tactic you can take for yeah. sure. Dang they it. want us to polish these boots. They want us to. They want us to clean this thing. But we'll do it. Yeah. Watch this. <laughs> All right. Next question. Next question. Jocko, has there been a situation in which you took something too personally? How do you avoid taking things personally? So the initial reaction is like, no, man, I don't take things too personally. No, I keep t-. But the actual fact is, yeah, I take, th- I take everything personally, right? Like, I mean, I, if I do something bad, I am very personally, I don't like it at all. If I do something poorly, I don't like it at all. I take it very personally. If somebody gives me feedback, I, mm-hmm. I take it personally. This is like, it's an ego thing. It's a pure ego thing, right? And I, I, I just had to say this at a group I was talking to. Just because I say ego is bad all the time, ego is good too. Mm-hmm. Ego is what drives you. Ego is what makes you want to be number one. Yeah. Ego is what is brings you pride in your work and makes you work harder to give deliver good product and and be a good leader and a good employee and a good person, right? That's ego. The problem comes when ego or taking things personally actually prevents you from listening to the critiques that you're being told. That's that's the problem. So for instance, we'll take this little podcast right here. I just got some critique on it the other day. Yeah. yeah. I got somebody somebody sent me a little critique and they said that I didn't explain because we had Andy Stump on here and Andy was kind of rattling off that his his career in the teams and as he was rattling off the career in the teams he lost some people not a bunch because it wasn't that complicated but he lost some people and and for instance he used an an, an acronym um or an acronym LPO which stands for leading petty officer which is the which is the Second senior enlisted person in a SEAL platoon and I didn't explain that when he said it So there's an example. So when I heard this my first reaction is like, oh, you don't know what LPO is cool. Go Google it (laughs) Go Google it. Why are you asking me? Stop talk and then that was pretty much, you know, my my ego was mm. saying, "Hey, I can't believe this person doesn't." Yeah, how know. dare you? How dare you? <laughs> and then, I, as I thought about, it, I was like, "Well, you know, I need to, I need to make sure in the future that I'm more, uh, that I'm more aware of what guys are talking, especially when I'm sitting here talking to a, another seal mm. who we have a common language and we are talking about things in a very conversational mode. So we're not caring about anybody else, and that's sort of what the podcast is. Often is like we're not, we're not talking to." Everyone that's listening at this moment, we're just kind of talking to ourselves or amongst ourselves. And so when he throws out this words, I need to be more aware of them. So if I took it personally, I might not listen. If I actually listen, I can do a better job. So that's that's kind of it. 
and basically that's the same with anybody when anybody receives any criticism of any kind mm. they get they take it personally <laughs> and I think the thing is two things number one get over it so you can listen to what the criticism is and and also remember this this is kind of weird I, I think maybe I'm wrong what do you think the more angry and the more personally you take some criticism the truer it actually is is that possible uh, when something really bothers you yeah. it's probably something that really bothers you because you know it's true yeah like when somebody says something that just doesn't matter to me it, it, it's you know I don't take it personally I'm like, oh yeah they just think that don't worry about it I'm yeah. not worried about it but when somebody says something that I know is true wow. and they're pinging me on it that's means I get even more take it more personally yeah. and get more angry about it and and then that should be an indicator hey this is something you actually need to fix yeah it actually has to do with insecurity more than anything so it can there be it can be super true or it can be kind of true or you can just be questioning it whether or not it's true if you're insecure about it that's when it's gonna affect because you can be like yeah. there can be okay you know let's say guys have a receding hairline and they're like oh I don't I don't care about that at all it's totally true you know and or let's say I do care about it I don't like it, but I, I, I've known it for the last, I don't know, 20 years, whatever. And someone's like, hey, you know, your hairline's receding. Do people like, still oh, yeah. care about that? I don't I don't think they do No, I don't know of any, but I'm just saying, you yeah, know, okay. certain things. That's, um, and if you know about it or, you know, and you know it's true, see, you won't necessarily be bothered by it. But if you get someone who's like, it's starting to recede or it's early <laughs> on or it's like, dang, and they won't necessarily be, this is just an example, hypothetical, but they won't necessarily be concerned about the actual hairline receding. They're more concerned about, oh, do, do I look older? Am I unattractive now? Or am I losing it now? Or something like that. That's what they're insecure about. So when someone points out some symptom of that insecurity, that's when they're like, well, you don't got to say that. Or, you know, they get all, oh, man, that goes for kind of anything. So yeah. maybe, I don't know, maybe it's someone saying, hey, you didn't explain this enough. Maybe you're like, wait, what are you saying? Was that a junk episode kind of thing or, or something like, did I not, um, you know how you, you're good at explaining stuff and simplifying them or whatever. Maybe it was like a, a, an attack on oh, that or oh, something. Maybe it's a personal point of pride. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe. But that's typically what people get mad about. It's not necessarily if they know it's true or not. It's if they're insecure about it. Right. Well, you wouldn't be insecure about something that wasn't true. Uh, no, but here's the thing. But sometimes you do. Because, you know, and you sometimes it's like a weird, like mental, uh, like problem. But, you know, girls, for example, I'm not saying all girls, but I'm going to totally generalize right now. But, you know, the girl's like, hey, do I look fat in this? The girl's like in awesome shape or whatever. Uh, and you're like, uh, or, or, they always think they're fat. That, it's not true. That's you know? not the like, right response, by the way. Uh, <laughs> that, that little wishy-washy thing. That's not, that's that's not a good That's a perfect response. example, yeah. though. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, it, do that. it's like that kind of stuff. You know, people are just insecure about, about stuff sometimes. Oh, and even though the girl's in really good shape, yeah, yeah, you know, or yeah, that's, that's or, horrible. Or even guys, when especially like if they're into like their physique or something like that, mm-hmm. where they, I don't know, they're at a party or so. I've heard guys like they go to parties and they'll do like dips or push-ups before they walk in yeah, because you, like you, so they're like more <laughs> pumped. I I swear. And is that why you were doing some push-ups? <laughs> 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 Whatever, <man. laughs> you know what I mean? So like you. Know, you were just a little insecure about what I just said. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you know, they'll get that kind where they'll be like, oh, I'm, they'll think that, oh, I'm not looking very cut up or something yeah, like yeah. that, you know, like that kind of stuff when yeah. it's not true. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's a, a good point, and I think the bottom line is when we take things personally, yeah. I, I I think it's actually not a negative thing yeah. because it means that you're there's probably something that you need to work on. Yeah. But I think what we need to watch out for is taking it personally and therefore being mad right. and either being mad at the person that told you, which the person probably could be out of line, you know, saying some stuff that's offensive. Yeah. But even if someone offends you. Well, okay, well, let's fix it so you don't have that 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 weakness or that insecurity anymore And so just yeah. know what your red flags are know when you're taking something everybody takes stuff personally Yeah, well, I, I'm yeah. like mr. Detachment and I yeah. take stuff personally all the time when yeah. somebody says something to me I'm like, oh, okay Dang, what I, what I do to do better. Yeah, you do a good job of seeing the, the big picture though You know like because a lot of times, you know when I don't know I always think back to the, you know the, the relationship like okay, let's say Let's say I'm at home. I'm mowing the lawn. I, I, you know, did all this these great housework chores, whatever. Right. You know, dad comes home, mom comes home, and they're like, "Hey, I thought I told you to take out the trash." Meanwhile, everything else is spick and span. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm mad. You know, how dare you say that to me when I did this? Me, me, my thing, my thing. But at the same time, they're right. Mm-hmm. You know, so you do a good job of like you'd be able to kind of recognize that, even though you'd probably feel those same right, feelings. Right, right. Yes, you won't. Your default isn't what about this and fight back and yep. and make the problem bigger. It's kind of like you'll feel it on the inside and recognize the red flags yeah. of what's happening. And you go, and oh yeah, like, okay, cool. I, I gotta, re- I gotta remember to take out the trash because the truth is that's correct. That is you correct. do. It doesn't matter if you did the lawn or not. The trash was a thing, you know. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you do a good job of, of recognizing that part. I think a lot of times, in our case, we don't do such a good job. You know, I'm going to throw this out there. This is a little off subject, but it just made me think of it. I was talking to Dave at, at the gym yesterday, and he was listening to the podcast, and, and he he lost his he lost his dad, yeah. and like six months ago, and he was listening to a clip from the podcast of me basically saying hey because someone asked what good comes from when someone dies and he he said look you covered a lot of stuff and it was super powerful and, and was was very helpful and he said but there's a one more thing he said there's one more thing that has come from my dad's death that is good and I said what and he said it was like a slap in the face of go out and, and get after it, you know, and I kind of left that out and I've, I've talked to other people and clearly You know when you lose someone that's close to you See the reason I, I guess the reason that I didn't think of this is because in the teams you kind of like you, you guys get killed, you know and We all kind of already live with the feeling of hey, man. I mean I say it all the time I'm gonna live the best life I can but for someone in the civilian sector and they haven't had any any they haven't lost anyone they haven't had anyone died close to them they get the feeling that many of us many people walk through the through the world with of i'm going to live forever you know yeah. i'm not going to die and yeah. i got all the time in the I world time, i need yeah. i got time and so he made this great point he said you know for me when my dad died he's you know he's in his mid 20s and he's been kind of you know i don't want to say the word relaxing but he's been you know fairly He's been cruising kind of Mm. and he's he realized he can't he can't do that. You know, he needs to he needs to get after it Mm. so 
cool cool story cool feedback I thought I should yeah. uh, let everybody know that's another good thing when, when if you lose someone and you you're not accustomed to that and you don't see how precious life is because a lot of times it's pretty easy to forget it's pretty easy to forget how precious it is when when it's right there when it's given to you yeah. you know it's just like food yeah. it's pretty pretty easy to forget I mean how precious was the was the crappy loaf of French bread with sticks and bugs in it that <laughs> Colonel Reeder got when he got to the prison yeah. camp in Hanoi yeah. that was precious and you know what even Colonel Reeder three weeks later he was like oh this that bread even he's here he's laughing he's like that bread sucked I was like sir here you said it was like the best thing you've ever had he goes well it wasn't first yeah, yeah. so we all get we all get this attitude that you know hey this is always gonna be here well it's not always gonna be here so don't don't treat it like it is taking that for granted yep next question hi Jocko I'm being told in jujitsu that I'm using too much strength to execute techniques and dominating roles. I get after it in the gym and try to be stronger and fitter. I already limit my strength against same weight training partners and definitely don't pull, don't bull rush or overpower lighter partners. I want to improve my jujitsu knowledge and understand the intent of reducing my strength and uh, reducing my strength to learn the skill. But where where is the balance? I feel like I feel like I'm doing uh, being penalized for working hard and being strong, and there has to be an element of strength uh, to technique, right? Now that I'm trying to do zero strength, working weak positions, and they still go 100% on me, I'm not learning anything, right? That's what he's asking. What is my, what is my 25% stronger than my training partner's 100%? I've trained no gi for four years, but gi only for 12 months. Don't judge a white belt warrior. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, you know, I don't think anyone is saying use zero strength. Right. And just be a, I used to have kids in the kids class that would just like flop around, like use no, they'd be like noodles, you know, especially when you're a partner, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd say, hey, don't be that. So no one's telling you to use zero strength. That's not the, that's not the, the goal here you just want to use less strength and I'm the same way man I work out so I can be strong yeah. and when we're rolling if I have to use strength I'm gonna use it you bench pressed me off off you the other day no. from across side all technique yeah yeah all technique. Was, you, know? <laughs> you even claimed it at the time <laughs> yeah. you were like that's all weight lifted <laughs> yeah. so so that's good right and it, and you you used it because you had to use it you were gonna get punished and you're like oh no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have Jocko across the side <laughs> this early up. in the roll so boom yeah. got bench pressed. people were watching too but yeah way. yeah so so yeah we we want to be strong for sure but I'll tell you this is a this is the key thing when I'm gonna train with someone I'm gonna use just enough skill and strength to stay slightly ahead of them just enough I'm not trying to crush them mm-hmm. if someone's and, and I'll tell you if someone's way lighter than me then but they have kind of equivalent skill then I'm gonna try and limit my strength as much as I can so it's jujitsu versus jujitsu for sure mm-hmm. but I, I'm definitely gonna use my strength if needed for really for a couple reasons the first reason is because of ego sure <laughs> right sure. I don't want to tap I don't want to get caught in a bad position I don't like that yeah you know if you can if you train like when we're done training I'm definitely using strength because I'm dripping with sweat right yeah. I mean I'm using physical attributes but that's not the only reason the other reason 
that you have to use your strength sometimes is you don't want to give people the false sense of security that hey that worked right, right. Even, the, even your good training partners like you don't want to say oh the guy gets a position so you just tap right because in a competition or in the street the person's not just gonna tap they need to do it right mm-hmm. so that's it I guess the bottom the bottom line is that my guess is is this dude is probably using too much strength he's probably one of those guys that's naturally really strong mm-hmm. and he works out and he's thinking I've been training no gi for four years so now when I put this gi on man I'm angry about it because I'm <laughs> yeah. falling behind a little bit mm-hmm. so I'm gonna use some strength yeah I would say, man, just try, try and relax, and just one of my favorite pieces of advice to give: relax harder. <laughs> yeah, just relax. Try and flow when you roll a little bit, and it, it definitely will make you. It'll make you better in the end. The more you relax, the 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 more the better you'll get in the end. Yeah, and certain. I found that like certain guys, that's just their just their method really they're just I strong mean, yeah and that's how they roll and yep. they're just aggressive physically that's how and i found that they can a lot of times they can get more technical right. you know but really that's kind of their their strengths in a way and that's it's just their way of rolling and yeah. some guys are the opposite you know you what know? now that you mention it some people that are like that they have like an on and off switch they're yeah. either all on yeah. or they're just super yeah. docile yeah, it's almost so like you gotta find that middle ground if you can. If you can, but yeah, people are different. Like, let's say, um, like, remember Franklin? He's yeah, his friends, flexible, real flexible, crazy. Okay, consider him where he's gonna be real technical and flexible and flowy and stuff, and that's his jujitsu. You can, he can. I need to be more strong and rigid and aggressive. He can train that, but his default is that flowy, flexible way. And <sighs> and guys who are like this, I think. That's going to be kind of their default. They can train, kind right. of deviate a little bit and get it more for sure. But that's kind of just their, that's that's the vehicle they have, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's it's almost like a genetic thing. It's not genetic. I know that. But it's it's kind of, it's, it's almost like the genetic. foundation yeah. of their. Franklin was a trip to roll with because he was so flexible, but not just in a normal way. Yeah. You know what is flexible in his? His spine was yes. flexible. Like yeah. when you'd put your weight on him and he would just like like jellyfish. <laughs> know, right? Like it an was, octopus. It was awesome. Yeah, it was like an octopus. Yeah. That's exactly what it was like. Yeah. Hey, I wish he kept training, man. He yeah. was so I, good. I saw him pretty, not too long ago. Yeah. yeah he, he's he he's trained, but like occasionally. Yeah. He yeah he was getting good for a while. Yeah, really good. Still good, though. Still good. Um, but yeah, it's kind of... There's, it's more of a mental thing. Like if you mentally, ha- there's drills like you can do. You remember um, Jerry Loudon was his name. Yeah. He jammed up yeah. his knees. But we used to do this thing. He's like, hey, let's just flow, right? And you know how people say, let's just flow. Yeah. So then they're trying to kill you. But, yeah, he wouldn't though. He would be like his flow would be like a fast pace, yeah. and you could even try to hold him down, and and he'd just be like flowing, flowing, flowing. He would get you in a good position, then he'd get right out of it into yeah. another. You know, like he was really good at flowing to mm-hmm. the point where, bro, you get kind of tired because yeah. you're moving so much it's not full speed flow it's yeah. almost full speed though yeah. so i remember doing that a lot with him and it really translated when i would roll it would be like i felt like that difference in technique yeah no that's really good i i do i always do a warm-up round with andy like that we just go yeah. position position but we're yeah. going but we're going like you know we're just go we're flowing yeah <sighs> that sounds i don't like that word yeah I but that's what it is i mean that's what it is the, the don't ever do that with Dean. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I'm okay, serious. Don't ever, you know, don't ever say, 
listen to him say like hey let's just get warmed up because he's not gonna do that yeah, yeah he's gonna flow trick. until he's in a good position he's gonna smash you <laughs> so don't do it you All have right. to just go hard Side note. yeah okay <laughs> good yeah yeah and he's real good at that, flow, that yeah that yeah, yeah stuff too yeah but that's a good way though like if you it, yeah it's no, a that's a good way that's thing. a good way if you can that's a good I see what you're saying that's a good way to learn to relax more yes yeah yes yeah when that becomes more common because let's face it I mean if you're strong and you're going into roles and people if to the point where people are saying hey you're you're using too much strength yeah if you're hearing that, that means from a, you're getting like yeah. getting after if you're hearing that you know? from multiple people yeah there's an issue man yeah that's that my point is even though you're saying saying hey some people are just that way don't accept that like who the guy that asked this question Don't accept echoes thing of saying some people are just that way because that means you're just gonna keep doing it and you yeah. won't get better Because yeah. he will the more you relax the better you get yeah, for sure And of course I don't mean it like that. So yeah, just I know you don't. Yeah, I know I know saying, you don't but I'm saying like don't get that Misconception that that's what echoes trying to say. Hey, yeah. you're just that way go with it. No, yeah, don't yeah. go with it Listen to what echoes saying when he's saying hey find somebody to flow roll with and just let it flow yeah, it's gonna be pretty Flow. rare you find a person whose kind of default method is this and then by the way I just realized I don't say flow roll because I was thinking about what I say to Andy or yeah. we don't say it anymore We just do it, but yeah, I used to say, hey, let's get a warm-up round so I call it a warm-up warm Okay, flow roll. yeah, but sometimes it's not a warm sometimes it's just like a technique sharpener kind yeah, of thing. Okay, I guess we have nonetheless, let's words. say he does do <laughs> <laughs> Let's say he does do some flow rolling some drills and gets better at it. I would I would guess that there is gonna be a significant remainder of his game that's gonna be this aggressive game. Oh for I sure. Think. Yes. That's you, what, you know, the dude's so gonna be aggressive be for there, sure. Yeah. Holmes is aggressive on the mat for sure. Another little mindset that might help is think less competitively. Cause you know how like a lot of people yeah, when sure. they and really it's true though. This, here's the thing: this this element needs to be there. Where it, when it's time to to spar, it should be competitive. Otherwise, it's like what are we doing? You know, I want it, if I want you to be competitive because I want an accurate look of right. what it's like to roll with Jocko or a guy like Jocko, big, strong, good at jujitsu, whatever. If you're just flow rolling with me and non-competitively every single time, I'm not getting the work that I need. Yeah. Really, I'm no, not that's, getting the that's what good I was training. About earlier too is that's why you got to oh, yeah, go hard use sometimes. strength yeah. yeah yeah you got to use strength yeah so it should be competitive but if some if people are complaining you're going too hard you're going straight up like every yeah. role is adcc yeah. on the line life or death you know <laughs> kind of more in that direction the moon so, giles yeah so if you think maybe less of that yeah and understand that this is this is training if you want to get less using strength and stuff hey you got to kind of train that stuff i like ultimately. it ultimately Next question. Next question. Jocko, I need some advice if you've got time. We got time. What's a good course of action when someone lies, betrays trust, or just plain destroys you? Move on. Straight up. Move on. Forget them. They are lying, and they are untrustworthy, so move on now sometimes this can be hard especially if they've somehow tied themselves into your life especially like for instance you get the kids involved in a divorce scenario you you can't move on but you have to mentally move on you have to emotionally detach from that human and that's hard to do because obviously 
they were someone that you trusted and the reason I know that you trusted them is because they got to a point where they were able to betray, betray your trust and destroy you so they they it's hard but the fact that they trust that you trusted them the fact that you had that relationship that's even more reason to walk away it's even more reason to move on you got to see them for what they are and this is an important piece right here this is an important piece this is something I learned as a young lad out there in the world <laughs> that person yeah. is not who you thought they were right they are not who you thought they were the idea that this person was a trustworthy faithful companion is not true it is not true that person does not exist they didn't exist and they don't exist it was in your head it was in your head that this person was trustworthy and you the, they were everything you wanted them to be and they were a faithful commandant that is a lie they are not that person they have proved it they've proved it by their actions so move on and at the risk of sounding callous get over it get over it do not dwell do not dwell on do not dwell on on, on what it was <laughs> and don't dwell on what it could have been you, you hear when guys go through bad breakups you know it's I just I thought we were gonna it's like no don't dwell on that deal with what it is right now what that person is deal with reality accept reality and be be thankful for reality be thankful that you were able to learn before you invested more into this person be, be, be thankful that you found out when you did that this person was a liar that this person was unfaithful was untrustworthy be, be thankful that you know it and you know it now instead of later and you know what else is gonna make it a lot easier to get over these situations is recognize that there's plenty of people out there in the world that are trustworthy and that are faithful good people there's they're out there go find one of them but don't think that that person that you had was the only one in the world they're not and you know what if that sometimes sometimes people have a hard time making that trust because they're so caught up and they, they, they don't want to meet someone else right away that's fine start with yourself right rely on yourself trust yourself because we when when someone breaks our trust we 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 question ourselves too yes like we think our my judgments bad I'm not a good judge of human character because I totally put my faith in this person and look what they did to me so now we don't trust her so you got to build that trust up you got to build that trust up back again with yourself how do you do that read write learn work out be alone it's okay to be alone some people get freaked out when they're alone it's okay to be alone it's okay it's okay to be alone there's no big deal enjoy it do something productive 
and build that trust up in yourself. You know, look back at the situation, learn from it. We do that. It's an op- post operational debrief. Oh, you've put too much trust in somebody. Cool. They broke your heart. All right, Roger that. Let's see what were the steps. What should I have recognized? How many times did I say, Well, you know, they didn't call me, but it's probably just because their phone was out of battery. No. <laughs> Once your phone runs out of battery once, okay, you don't let it happen again, right? So you start seeing those red flags, see the mistakes that you made. And then look for them next time around because you deal with people all the time that they they made mistakes the first run. They go back and they make the same mistakes the second run. They go back and make the same mistakes the third run. That's when you got to start blaming yourself yeah. on your situation. That's why that's why I said you got to like build a relationship with yourself. You got to learn yourself. You got to trust. You got to learn to trust yourself. So spend some time doing that and then when you go back and you start dealing with people cuz that's what that's what you got to watch out for is that you become a hardened criminal and yes. you don't trust anybody. Yes. Like you were talking about cops. You know, sometimes cops have a hard time because they're dealing with scumbags all day long right. and it builds up this this mistrust of other people mm-hmm. so you don't want to have that happen you want to be suspicious of people but you want to be able to build trust once they prove themselves so take those small steps and start to build up over time don't just jump in and give someone 100 percent trust out of the gate you don't know them. you don't know them. you know back in the day <laughs> back in the day when old hardcore bands used to have this t-shirt that just said trust no one i was like yeah that's legit right you don't don't go out of the gate with the big trust on somebody with important stuff. Yeah. Don't do it. But the good news is, like I said, there's plenty of people out there that are good people that you are give you that you can give all your trust to. Just take it slow, brother. Yeah, and it's so crazy how you just explain that so simple, and it makes total sense when you're in the situation, though. All the emotions, you know. Like you can't just detach and be like, "What are the red flags?" No, yeah. you're too busy no. missing the person no, or whatever. Yeah, you're a disaster. So, and I guess, but even crying, that, but that, <laughs> throwing things, looking at pictures—that's the worst. Yeah, don't look at pictures. Get, get out the picture and stare. I've seen guys doing that. I'm like, bro, just <laughs> give me that. Let me throw bro. this away for you. It's not going to help. That person yeah. is. Yeah. That was always to me was was explaining like, listen. Because, guys, what she was... No! No! She wasn't! Yeah. That is a lie. A that trick. person that you put put together in your head, that you've assembled in your mind, that person doesn't exist. They yeah. don't exist. Yeah. The, the person that you dealt with was a liar. Yeah. Was unfaithful. Was a cheater. That's the person. The person wasn't this person that you're putting forth in your mind. That person doesn't exist. So stop. But but you don't understand the good times. Yeah, I you know, know, I know, hey, I here's know. Here's what it is. It's a trick. Here's the trick. Okay, so uh, if, okay, that person a liar, that person a cheater, and what I kind of said there was like, you don't understand the good time. That's a real part of oh, it. Oh, for sure. That's really it. It's like, sure, they did this. Sure, she um, uh, flats my tires when she gets mad. Sure, all that. Oh, yeah, but the good times some. we have are so good. So it's 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 proof that it is, it's not about the person. It's not about the person that you can see all the red flags and how they mistreat you t- from time to time or they beat you. It's about yourself and how you're sad now because of all these reasons. But the trick comes with what, one of the tricks comes with, um, same thing I said about drinking, where it's your brain, because it's like chemicals. When you bond with someone in, a right. certain, in certain ways, and it's different from, you know, it varies from person to person, but it's like, I think it's like oxytocin or I don't know, something where it's it's 
it we'll go with just something yeah it's so i don't want to go into it but <laughs> you feel this bond with this specific person that's why you have these feelings right. even though this girl like lies to you you see her lying text messages on your phone right now you're looking at you meanwhile you still still miss them it's a trick because it's saying like that your emotional like well-being is attached to this person kind of thing right and all the other stuff you just kind of ignore so just like um how i was saying with drinking right well i know consciously like i'm gonna be hungover tomorrow i, I won't get anything done all this stuff Weaker. but why do i want to drink so bad right now you know kind of thing um and it's the same thing the chemicals in your brain are telling you like this girl is essential for you you know for your well-being she's not yeah oh that's the I'm logic though you. that's a lot it's a trick don't yeah. listen to the don't listen to your brain listen to me that's she's what, not essential that's what you move on bro i'm telling you but that's the logic which know, those chemicals bro, are blocking i have seen so many situations where guys are just in, in, in what's horrible is i'm sitting here saying this it's you could be smacking someone in the face, telling them move yeah. on, move on, and they're that's, not going to listen. That's what that's all. So you got to make that is. decision. Yeah, that's 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 it's hard. And like, guys ruin their lives. I mean, yeah. girls do too. Girls yeah. and guys, oh they ruin gosh. their lives. Uh, you know, with over somebody that is completely abusive, whether mentally or physically, that just completely abusive, and they'll ruin their lives for this person. Yeah. That per and see, in my mind, I think it's because they build a person. They build a person on the framework of reality they build a fantasy yeah and they're in love with that fantasy yeah. and they want to keep it going right it's a fantasy so stop yeah. and they get away and from they it. ignore like all the quote unquote sure. red flags sure. and they remember the good times even if it's like like 10 minutes yeah. a week they remember those good times they ignore the the, the red flags for because of that that you know that trick that chemical trick in their brain and they, so I, it reinforces that thing that they built you know that fantasy that they build it's like it's true yeah. it's this big the reality is this big yeah. and look the fantasy and they just attach to it yeah you ever see a, like a friend or whatever because i'm assuming you're you've never see been what? in this situation like you ever had a, a friend where they're really into it they're almost ruining their lives they're in bad shape or whatever and then whether it be all of a sudden or years later or whatever they're thinking back and they're like what was i thinking yeah. because the chemical trick so to speak Wears, wears off. off and then they can see all that logic that you're talking about yeah. you're like oh my gosh man it's it's almost like it's almost like you feel like you were a different person yeah. when you recover well, you from can't that talk. I mean, just the fact that you can't talk any sense into people when they're in that situation it's a trick you gotta yeah. try and yeah it's hard it's hard but I think knowing that that's it it's a chemical in your brain that is tricking you and it goes for a lot of stuff donuts like all this that's <sighs> tricking you if you know like hey and you say hey, i'm not going to be tricked i feel it i yeah. feel this i feel the sadness i feel missing this person but it's a trick you know yeah That's that good. helps it totally helps i like it so move on man i know it's hard trust us speaking of moving on next question Unless we want to talk about this some more no i think sure? we need to move on okay <laughs> exactly right let's move on in what circumstances do you recommend direct attack? You know I will hold on. Oh, let's, we're not let, moving let, on. You're no, stuck on it. No, but what's horrible is, man, people kill themselves. Yeah. In these oh. situations, yes. over a lie. Yeah. That's that's to me the that's trick. the trick. But it's a lie, and and guys or girls get so distraught over this fantasy that doesn't exist. And what's really jacked up is. If they could just move on, they'd find a reality that was actually congruent with what their desires are. Yep. It's out there. 
Yeah. You see people all over the world. They're 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 in relationships, having fun <laughs> from every level, right? Yeah. There's someone out there, but you you get caught up in this mental trap and and obsessing over a fantasy. It's a fantasy. Yeah. Don't 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 obsess over the fantasy, man. There's you can you can get over it and there's plenty of other human beings out there that are awesome. So go find one of them and in the meantime, hang out with your badass self. Right. And become a better person. Man, working out is a big one. For Huge sure. One. For sure. That's a that's 100%. Just get get in the gym and get after it. Jiu-jitsu solves everything. Yes. <laughs> Lifting solves everything. Yeah. All right. Okay, so what circumstances do you recommend direct attack in combination with indirect, if any? Or do you have any examples? Yeah, so we talk about flanking all the time. I always recommend a combined attack, right? right? If you only attack the flank, well, then the enemy's going to adjust, and they're going to put all the defenses there, and now it's not a flank anymore. Now it's the front. It becomes the, yeah. So, so you need to feign attack, or at least you need to attack with some minor level of force directly so that the enemy has to defend what you're doing. And I mean, cl- clearly, when when we're examples are pretty easy to come up with. When we're, when we're doing raids, like assaults on buildings, you're going to attack that building from multiple directions, at a minimum. At least you're going to set distractions on some of the other directions. And the same thing when we're setting up Overwatches. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of times we'd have a main Overwatch and we'd have a little, a little flanker Overwatch. So when you come to get us, you're going to pay and. Like a classic L-shaped assault. There's a reason it's called an L shape. It's shaped like an L. You have a you have a a fire, a base position that's gonna put down fire on the target, and then you have a maneuver element that's gonna come in from the flank. But even with that, you 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 have to do a base element and a maneuver element. There's a reason. Because you're gonna the base is gonna put down fire, and then the maneuver is gonna maneuver it. So Yes, those are those are clearly some of them. And it's the same thing. Yes, it's the same thing in the business environment, right? In the business environment, if you're going to maneuver into a new market, you don't just walk away from your other market, right? You don't if you're going to develop a new product, you don't throw away your old product. No, you keep that's your base. You keep that going and then you flank. Mm-hmm. So, it makes sense there. Um, yeah, so absolutely when you when you're going to attack Attack from both directions. I, in fact, I do that most of the time. So, next question. This actually isn't really a question; it's more of a comment. Yeah, I kind of turned it into a question. I guess. Yeah, yeah. You responded to the comment. Very okay. polite. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, anyway, comment goes. Just want to say a quick thanks. I struggle with the daily grind trading days for dollars but you helped me make it happen yeah and my comment was like okay well thank you I guess because I hope at the same time that you're grinding that you're trading that that you're I hope that you're not trading days for dollars long term because long term that's a losing proposition right if you're grinding and it's not doing something you want to do if it's a grind that you can't embrace then you got to find a way out of that right you got to find you can't trade you don't want to trade days for dollars because dollars don't mean anything days all you got so you got to find a way out 
Now, this does not mean you need to be rash about it. This doesn't mean tomorrow you walk in, I'm not doing this job anymore, I'm out. And now you're broke. No. Don't be rash and don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but do come up with a long-term plan about what you want to do, how you want to do it, where you want to do it. And this might take one year or two years or five years. It might take five years to get to where you want to be. That's okay. That's fine. It's, it's actually kind of cool. When you're grinding right now because you know there's something that you're working towards in the yeah. long run, that's actually awesome. Mm-hmm. So, but, but you got to have an exit strategy. You, you got to have an exit strategy. You got to plan and figure out how much money it's going to take and what are you going to do? You're going to work two jobs. I'm going to save all my money right now. I'm going to invest here. I'm going to pay off my mortgage. Whatever it is you're going to do so that you can get yourself in a position where you actually enjoy doing what you're doing. That's what you want. And the one other cool thing about this, it, like, like I say, man, it's cool to grind, man. That's what we're here to do. You're here doing stuff, right? If you're not doing anything, well, then what are you doing? You're not doing anything. So the, the other thing that's cool, though, about grinding and working is, is that when you get that freedom, right, that you worked hard for, it's going to be so much more worth it. Yeah. The discipline that you put into place to get to that freedom that you want it makes that freedom so much more worth it. So I appreciate it. I'm glad you're grinding. I'm glad you're grinding hard. But don't just make that trade. It's not a square trade days for dollars. It's not a square trade. Get it back under your control. And we've had, I've actually had some really cool feedback on the podcast of people that have hit me up and said, hey, you told me to plan an exit strategy. I wish I could find this. A guy said, you told me to plan an exit strategy. He's like, that was whatever, nine months ago. I saved my money. I just did this. Now I'm in another business. I'm kicking ass. Thank you. Right? So it can be done. It's one of the things about cool about being a human being. You got free will. You can make stuff happen. So go make it happen. No, man. And that's, there's a a lot of tricks there too. Where, you know, we talk about the hyperbolic discounting. When you when you basically go for the short term payoff, beyond, uh, in, ex, in at the expense of the long term payoff. So let's say you have an exit strategy, four or five years. It helps actually. It's, this is like for real help, night and day. Where if you look at that end exit strategy as like a you know a goal or whatever, and the time in between now and then is preparation time. That's all that is. Like so, a lot of times, like I remember when when I was working at the nightclub. That was that was a full on like ooh nightclub cool job all short term payoff stuff right, living right. kind of day to day week to week I get my paycheck I go hang out go work paycheck hang out so it's all just short term payoffs yep. right so I was in there for ye- like years how many years S- seven Dang. so wait wait no six so I was the end of like almost seven Dang. so yeah nightclub so I remember thinking when I was like over it already um, I remember thinking dang. I, I feel like I waste a lot of years. I think back now I didn't because I learned a lot of like psychological stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I remembered like reflecting and being like, man, I spent. Yeah, I went to college, all this stuff really slacked through college. I spent it the same way. Just like, OK, I'll take this class because I may or may not pass it. Whatever. I just want to play football and be cool, whatever. And I reflect and I think, <clears throat> dang, I spent my life preparing for nothing really consciously i mean passively i did because i liked certain creative things and and that you know materialized for sure but 
actively like consciously i was never you know how certain people they're like i want to be an architect for sure and that's it and i'm doing it and i know a lot of times if there's family history and certain things it's like they know you know and they wind up doing it a lot of time mm-hmm. but i reflected and thought man i'm here i spent my life up to this point preparing for nothing in life i know about working out that's it so a lot of times when you're making your you find yourself in a grind that without like a, an exit strategy or something like that, it, a lot of times that will be the case. Like I've spent my life kind of preparing for nothing really, but that's the good thing how you're saying it can take a year. It can take two years, five years, whatever, start preparing for that five mm-hmm. years. And at the end, when the five years comes, you are prepared yeah. straight up. If you spend one year doing something focus, like, Hey, I got to get even something like I'm going to play the piano. I don't know anything bow and arrow. I don't know. You spend one year focused on it. At the end of the year, you can be pretty prepared Yeah, compared to the average person. So you spend like two years, five years preparing whatever that exit strategy is. And you're for real prepared. Spend, look at that time as this is preparation time. Yeah. And it's it, it, if only somebody comes up to you, you've been working at the nightclub for a year and says, hey, Echo, what are you going to do with your life? And you're like, well, it wouldn't. You would immediately say, "Well, well." Let me phrase that another way. Echo, are you planning to, uh, you know, be a nightclub bouncer for the next twenty-five years? Your answer would clearly be no. Yeah. Okay, so what are you getting ready for? Yeah, because a lot of times, this person is aware that they're in a grind. A lot of times, people don't even realize that what they're doing, that they're 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 marking time is what we call it in the military you're you're marching but you're not going anywhere yeah, you're yeah. your feet are going up wheels. and down you're spinning your wheels so think about it. that's a great point that you just made is what what were you preparing for yeah. if you would have been learning to play the piano boom you could be in the game right now right now yeah <laughs> but yep. so that's an important thing especially when you start talking to people that are younger you know oh when gosh, they're 15 yeah. 16 17 years old cuz they're marking time yep. you know they're having fun yeah but it's cool to have fun. Yeah. Let's make sure we're making some progress and yeah. building some capacity to have a better future yeah. all the time. What can you do to build capacity for your future? Hey, you know, you heard Andy Stump and I talk about this, and we, we didn't even re- recognize that there's anything else you could do besides being the teams. Yeah. But that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's so and that's kind, of, that's kind of good because when you're yeah. in the teams, you don't want to be thinking about anything else. And right. luckily, the teams does give you preparation for other things in life because you're in a leadership position you're going up you're learning skills you're learning whether you're learning parachuting I mean you're learning stuff and guys get out of the teams all the time they become cops they become firemen they they, all kinds of good jobs but if you're not in a job like that you're in a job like being a nightclub bouncer hey it's a fun job right it's cool you're having a good time but let's make sure we have an exit strategy on that one right yeah, and it doesn't even necessarily mean, like, if I wanted to be ultimately, and I'm just saying being conscious of it, where if I wanted to be a nightclub owner or something, mm. perfect. Yeah. I'll stay right in there. And But here's the thing, the difference is I'm not, I wasn't consciously spending that time preparing for anything. Exactly. I was going for tomorrow. I was yeah. going for, you know, this weekend. That was, That's yeah. all I was going for. And a lot of times 
I mean, in the nightclub, it was because it was like a, a very recognizable payoff, you know, because right. it's fun and there's yeah. this party going on. But even in these grinds, like um, let's say I was working for a moving company one time, it was the same thing. I was looking for the weekend. It sucked, but <laughs> I was st- like the work part sucked, but I was looking forward to getting off work. Okay, the yeah. relief. is yeah. So it's it's the same dynamic, just kind of negative, you know, it's like yeah. negative versus and the positive is the relief kind of well, thing. Well, that one, the moving company made you want to it forced your hand to want to go do something else like a different lifestyle whereas yeah. the nightclub the sort yeah. of you can get you can get distracted and into that where you're like hey this is just going to be cool right yeah so it's that that carrot and the stick you know you know so yeah. the nightclub was i was just eating that carrot that was right in front of my face every day or every week or whatever the the moving company was like i'm just trying to run away from the stick that's hitting me every day kind of thing yeah so I guess it just depends on how much you hate sticks and yeah, like carrots. It's just so good. And like you said, we don't listen to our parents or we don't listen to our people around us. We don't listen to it. We just don't do it. It becomes noise. That's why even yeah. you saying, what do you, what do you want to do with your future bro? I've heard that since literally since I could understand English. What are you going to do with your, what are you doing to prepare for your future? What are you going to do? Do you see yourself doing this? For, oh yeah. No, I don't know. Leave me alone. It, it's just, it's a meme already. You know, so you hear it all the time. So it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That's why a lot of times it takes like someone to either rephrase it. Or straight up, like show it to you yeah. somehow, you know where it hits you. Or like Dave was talking, his his he was cruising, and his dad died, and yeah. he got shown it's real quick, I mean? yeah. like hey, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. So good stuff yeah. to think about. Yeah, I mean personally, I just got tired of him, and so yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> Next question. I think we got time for one more question. Yeah. Jocko, I've read your book, Extreme Ownership. My son and I listened to your podcast on the way home from hockey practice. And while I can see your message, I can't bring myself to employ it, which I would like to do so very badly. Any suggestions? Well, everybody wants to employ extreme ownership and discipline so very badly. But... Everybody also wants it to be easy, right? They want some some secret power that just makes it happen. And, and they think that I hold the, the magic key that's gonna make discipline the easiest thing in the world. Well, I can tell you that taking ownership of your life, it isn't easy. And living the life of discipline isn't easy. In fact, it's hard. That's why it works. And so if you want to employ discipline, there's only one way to do it. You employ discipline. Stop looking around for suggestions on how to employ discipline. Because I'll tell you that listening to this podcast is not gonna give you discipline. Reading the book is not gonna give you discipline. You have to impose discipline on yourself, you. And you do that with steps that you execute, small steps. Get up early, work out hard, attack your daily tasks, crush your job. Don't waste time on on, on meaningless activities. That's how 
you employ discipline you get aggressive in making things happen be the discipline that's it that's it it's that simple and I'll say it again if you want to live a disciplined life that's what you have to do you have to be the discipline and I think that's all I've got for tonight so echo yes I know you've been kind of stepping up the discipline and ownership why don't you take some ownership right now of telling people how they can support this podcast if they want to I I will before supporting this podcast I think we all should support ourselves in this way similar to like on the airplane like I said before you know the airplane the oxygen mask you got to put on yourself before you can help the infant not that the, not that this podcast is an infant or nothing well maybe it is one year whatever anyway you know what I mean so if you're I've been into working out more more consistently which is saying a lot because I was you know I'm no stranger to the workouts um, I've been supplementing my workouts with supplements <laughs> as you know um, krill oil just got some more boom you know that when you get new krill oil mm-hmm. like I get it now before I run out you know yeah, yeah I mean yeah. it seems obvious like oh okay, stockpile yeah. yeah you're you're an adult now and you're prepared I yeah. like it yes exactly <laughs> which is like, new for me yeah, I mean the no, buzz is still going I'm out of krill oil I'll order some now it'll be in in a week <laughs> yeah I know no. yeah no 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 that's not going on anymore which is another demonstration of discipline Really, I you like know? it. We count that. Yeah, it's kind of counts. <laughs> the daily discipline, yeah, including things. including <laughs> ordering krill oil before you're out. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, it's true. I like what you've done there. When it comes in, I'm not even out of my old but When it comes in, it feel, feels good. Ooh, the krill oil's in. It feels good to be prepared. Yeah. So yeah, you feel prepared. You are prepared. Yeah, you are. You feel <laughs> it because you are straight up. Anyway, krill oil. If you don't know, what's krill oil? Omega threes? Is it? Yeah. Anyway, it's real good for your joints. The and really, stuff. that's the, I mean, omega-3 is good, cool. But the question is, if you don't know, it's kind of like, what does that do for me? You know, well, how is that going to look? How's the omega-3 is going to benefit me in, in the krill oil situation? It's your joints. Especially if you do a lot of pressing exercises in jujitsu. Actually, I shouldn't say especially. I'm just saying including, but not limited to hard <laughs> pressing and jujitsu exercises. Like what you've done there. I'm telling you, man, it's the truth. Um, anyway, yeah, so get on that krill oil if you have joint a joint situation, really. Yeah, or if you don't. Or if you don't, preventative. Yeah. Yeah. I need to do more pre- preventative stuff in my life. Yeah. It's funny. I'll take them. Like, I'll pour them out, you know, and they look like jelly beans. Yeah. I, I didn't realize they looked like jelly My daughter, she's four. She's like, oh, jelly beans. But <laughs> you smell them. them. No, she don't bite them. She, you know, you smell them. Yeah. They smell like krill oil. Hey, I was on deployment, so they make disgusting jelly beans. Have you ever seen those before? They they make jelly beans that taste like puke. Yeah. That taste like what? Like on purpose? Yeah, it's like a joke. Oh, so okay. I was on deployment in Iraq, and somebody sent me 
a, a care package, a care package, yeah, right? Yeah, they, care. they were being funny. They sent me some of them bad tasting jelly beans. I didn't look at the label. I just opened them up because <laughs> I hadn't had any candy in a while. I wanted some candy. Yeah, man. Boom. Took a mouthful. Just puke Almost all puked, up in man. there. Dang. It's disgusting. Yeah, so the krill oil jelly beans, more or less the same yeah, thing. Yeah, you don't want to bite them and eat them. Except, no. yeah, the, the packaging is different, so they don't, you know. Where can you get purpose. those things anyways? <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested in these krill oil tablets is what they are. Um, no, krill oil, little tablets. Yeah, you eat them. Chew them if you want. Swallow them, I recommend, because they, they smell and taste like krill oil. <laughs> Anyway, but they're good for your joints. Yeah, on it. Okay, so the really all the supplements you're gonna wanna take is from on it. So go to onit.com slash Jocko if you want the ten percent off. But like I said, back to the support part, where okay, so you know how like you, when you work out and then you, you ever work out and you're like, hey, my knees or my elbow or something is bothering yeah, you. Yeah, it's like your whole body's working fine. You can bench a bunch, you can squat a bunch, but it's like your elbow. It's like, you know, you're you're only as strong as your weakest link. Mm-hmm. Elbows, knees, that's your weak link right there. That's what the krill oil does. That's what it alleviates, you know? That's important is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree yeah, with you. Well, here's the thing. I didn't really understand that. But, bro, I've, I've done it where I've taken, like, ibuprofen. To like, okay, it's because it's just pain, right, you know. Right. It's not like I'm gonna uh, pull, like if it's your muscle or something, yeah, like a yeah, strain muscle. Yeah, it's not an injury. Yeah, it's just like a pain, but it'll inhibit because you have a what little. What made thing. you decide to start taking krill oil? Um, I mean, I know I take, and I was like, yeah, you should try it. Or did I say that? Or did you just start yeah. trying it on your own? It was you, but yeah. I've I heard about it. Yeah, you know, my wife, just, my father-in-law would always krill oil is better than fish oil. I was like, cool. I don't even take fish oil, so yeah. it didn't really mean much to me. I, I lift nothing. I'm I, I'm looking for gains, bro. Yeah, I'm not I'm over here years old. Steel. Yeah, bro, I leave me alone with the krill. But yeah, that was it. And you mentioned it, and um, you know, I you're not hobbling around in pain or nothing so I say hey if Jocko doesn't let me go try and yeah. then and I got it from a guy that was like a power lifter really strong and he was you know 56 years old when I met him he was yeah. in great shape and I yeah. said what do you do he said Crowell. yeah I told um that's not the only thing he also works out hard and all that stuff but yeah it's a good thing to know about that's really that was kind of my point really yeah. you know like my you know you can be strong but when you got your elbow jacked up from being strong, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, true. you you, you got to patch that little thing naturally, like, a, yeah. Because it's not like you're putting cortis, cortisone shots or, or in my case, ibuprofen, just to mask the pain so you can get gains. It's different. It's like a whole thing. I was telling um Taylor, I was talking with him. We rolled for a little bit. Did we? No, we didn't roll. But we were just talking, and uh, I told him how old I was, and he was like, "What? You know, it's the krill oil, man." <laughs> Notice I didn't mention how old I am. Yeah. Nonetheless, uh, if you like krill, actually, there's some good stuff. Oh, you know the per- okay. So there's this total strength and performance mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was looking at that because it's real interesting, like stuff in the clinical studies. It's over time, so it is considered a pre-workout. So typically, when people when so you get I should pre- take it consistently. Consistently, oh, yeah. You, your gains. It's like a cumulative effect. You know what I mean? Just like yeah, krill weird. oil, though. Really, like. Because here's why I got tricked. I didn't get tricked, but here's why I misunderstood. 
is usually a pre-workout has like caffeine and stimulants yeah, in it. Yeah, for sure. You know, and sure it'll have like other stuff, allegedly, I don't know. But usually you take a pre-workout so you get fired up physiologically to go right. lift, get big pump, get all this, you know, this performance <sighs> stuff or whatever from the caffeine and all that. Total strength and performance doesn't have caffeine. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So it's a different, it's a whole different kind of system that's giving you, you know, feels, the benefits. Feels good though. Yeah. That yeah. and but shroom tech too, same thing. Where you can take it that day and you'll feel it that oh, day because sure. it you know helps you. That's use why oxygen. Like I said, I double, I double dip on those. Yeah, two. get all of it, man. <laughs> all up on it and down for it. Actually, my sure. trip to South Africa, I didn't have either. Oh dang! Yeah, yeah. You're going um, what do you call it when you don't take the supplement? Going slick, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had some good rolls down there too. Yeah, I was, I was thinking to myself, like the, the guys that were down there. Chef and Richie, they're like, hey, you know, tomorrow night, because I went and rolled the first night at, at their fight fit, and the the first night, you know, we trained a little bit, you know, but we were hanging out, and then they said, hey, when you come back tomorrow, we're just going to do like 10 rounds, 10 five-minute rounds. I was like, okay, cool. And then I got the home, and the next morning, or the next afternoon, we were heading over there, I said, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind having a little bit of shroom tech right now, but I didn't <laughs> have any. had to go <laughs> slick. Yeah. Good times. Hey, man, you know, and... Hey, going slick, that's cool, but you don't have to. Yeah, no. You know? I, mean, I w- didn't want to. I wanted to have a little bit of that shroom tech with me. <laughs> yes, yes. Some of us, we don't want that beef. You know, so we're going to take the shroom tech. We're going to take the, the krill. To me, again, back not to go too deep on the krill oil, but that one I think is like an essential. That's like an everyday thing, you know? Krill like, oil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people, they'll drink coffee every single day. Yeah, I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And cool, I say cool, drink coffee, but it should be like that. Because the krill is way more beneficial than the coffee. I think coffee is more like, it's like an immediate thing. Anyway, anyway, you like the stuffs, um, these cool supplements, good supplements, the best supplements. Everyone knows this already. Go to onit.com slash Jocko for 10% off. Also, a good way to support the podcast is the Amazon click through. All, all that is, is before you do your Amazon shopping, click through the website. I got a banner. Little Amazon shopping banner. Got the dot, dot com, got the dot co dot uk one, and I want to say the Germany one too. Mm. Over there on the side of the website, uh, jockopodcast.com, and also up top on the, on the navigation menu. Is Easy to find is what you're saying. Easier than it was before, for okay. sure. Well, that's good. And then on the store, I think it's like in the support tab. Anyway, before you do your Amazon shopping, click on that first, then do your shopping. Regardless of what you're buying. I always make the sodium in the water reference because really that's what it is. Really. That's the best reference. I mean, the, the best analogy, you know. Okay. It is, bro. <laughs> okay. Okay. I said, okay, dude. Right, don't right, yeah. But the way the tone was yeah, like, yeah, whatever. Right. But here's the thing. That's a big deal. Small piece of sodium. Drop it in water. See what happens. <laughs> Just see what happens. Actually, don't do that. Look at look up a video. See what happens. That's what's good. And that's what you are really. You do the well, small. Action. I think the biggest thing is people don't people think it's not a big deal. That's the thing. They yeah, think it's just the, a little piece of sodium. Tell that to the sodium. Yeah, <laughs> when he hits water. So anyway, yeah, you go and you do small action. It takes two sec. Literally yeah. two seconds. Boom, click and big reaction. Good support. Good reinforcements. What if? You, you kind of needed some reinforcements and it took just one click of a thing and it brought just a full-on reinforcement into your situation. That's good, right? Yeah. Small action, big reaction. I, sounds good to me. Anyway, that's what the Amazon click-through does and 
That's how you do it. Go to uh, jockopodcast.com, click on the Amazon banner before you do the shopping. Boom. Instant support. Um, and you can subscribe to the podcast on whatever iTunes provider platform you use. iTunes. Stitcher. Google Play. And others. <laughs> um, yeah, subscribe if you haven't, haven't already. Leave a review if you're in the mood. If you were moved by... Jocko's words or Echo's words or Echo's words <laughs> leave a review you know see what up um, also subscribe uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel we have a YouTube channel I know a lot of people already know that and a lot of people have YouTube channels yeah how do you distinguish which one's good and which one's not good right well here's the good thing about subscribing to YouTube channels is you just click subscribe and if it, I guess it, you know it shows the new videos in your feed, you can elect right. to have a notification or not. When new it's videos good to come have up. a notification, and it doesn't annoy you because for something to annoy you, it would have to happen a lot. But since you don't make a lot of videos, I do now. Though. Know, That's the thing. Actually, it depends on what you mean by a lot. So at least two a week will be uploaded. Oh, one will be the podcast. One will be something else. Jack okay, I think that is a that you just threw down the gauntlet. <laughs> now everyone's gonna track <laughs> Standard, your videos. I know, man. Do it. Hey, if Echo doesn't put up at least two videos a week from here on out, we can attack him on the interwebs. Yeah, verbally, please. Yeah, man. No. Hey, uh, I'm accountable. You know? Okay. I well, did. yeah, you just made yourself accountable, so yeah, that's good. There it is. But yeah, subscribe. You're feeling a little bit of that extreme ownership <laughs> on you. <laughs> Anyway, good thing about subscribing to YouTube, you can just unsubscribe like anything else. It's not like these, you know, these marketers who email you stuff. Yeah. It's like, hey, unsubscribe to like, your dude, email Dude, I bought is. one can of I, chicken with, from exactly. you four years ago yeah. and you're still emailing me. Yeah, I didn't your even chicken subscribe. wasn't that good. Yeah, Stop. Why, why do I have the option to unsubscribe to your email list when I didn't even subscribe to it? Get away from this. Yeah. So it's not like that kind where you click unsubscribe and then they email you again, by the way. This is just say, to confirm. We're sorry to see you go. Why this? Why? And then you got to fill out. It's not like that. Boy. And in six, and, and you're, you will stop receiving email in six to eight weeks. Yeah. Or some, something. Yeah. It's not like that. Unsubscribe. Done. Problem solved. And then you resubscribe. You know, it's totally up to you. Empower yourself on the subscribing situation. <laughs> That's YouTube. Um, so, yeah. Some videos on there. We'll, um, we'll try to keep you somewhat occupied on there. It's good. Anyway. And also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. JockoStore.com. If you wear shirts and you want to represent that way, I think we're going to put some new shirts on there. Mm. Some new stuff. You know what I did? What we did, really, is, you know, people listen to you, Jocko. I listen to you. But the good thing about you is actually actually one of the, one of the reasons I listen to you is because you listen to me. Mm. And you listen to others, you know? We listen to others. So people be like, hey, X, Y, Z, make that into a shirt. Or, you know, hey, you said this, make that into a shirt. Or they'll just come up with their own thing, you know, prioritize X, I don't know, whatever, make it a shirt. So during that listening, I kind of, we kind of just took it to heart in a real general way. And there's some new stuff. I like that. Yeah. It's good. It's good options. Yeah. But you can't, we can't make every shirt that everything. No. And I. Because you just don't, that wouldn't be practical. 
No, it wouldn't be. And some, I mean, I gotta plus be honest. I, plus, I say I say some cool stuff. I also say some dumb stuff. Exactly. Somebody might pick some dumb stuff. Yeah, or you know, something that maybe wouldn't translate onto a shirt that someone would actually wear, mm-hmm. other than maybe a handful of people. Then we'll just say some shirt ideas make more sense than others. We'll just say that. <laughs> But nonetheless, uh, we are listening, and this is going to be a result of it with some, you know, maybe some new stuff. Uh, there's also some patches, cool patches, the Velcro ones and whatnot, um, hoodies, rash guards, performance. I think we we'll to do another rash guard design as well. Not going to get rid of the old one. The old one's the, the, the current one. Is, that one's dope, too. Nonetheless, just more options, you know? Guys want to get after it and have different looks. Maybe even have two in rotation that look different. Boom. So, yeah, we'll do that. Anyway, all these things, you can look at them. If you like what you see, one, two, three things, whatever, however many things, get it. Support that way. Good way to support. Such yeah. a good way, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you're representing. So it's kind of like you, it's it's like an official way to kind of just jump in the game, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. I know what you mean. I saw, remember, um, oh, I don't know if. Yeah, you met him, right? Yeah, yeah. Sam, he came in the the gym, the shave head. Yeah, Sam. yeah. So yeah. he was just sitting there in the down in the lounge downstairs. I'm I'm going to get something to my car real quick. I see I see the shirt. Of course, I'm going to say something, but before I say anything, I'm thinking in my mind, look at this guy representing hard. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't know him, you know. Yeah. He, you know, the guy I haven't met or whatever, and you get that feeling like that guy's representing, and that's the feeling you get really, you know, when you see somebody in the wild with it. Well, uh, actually, speaking of that, I got a little story to tell. Somebody hit me up, and they said, "Hey, I was out in the wild, mm-hmm. saw someone with a with a Jocko podcast T shirt on, walked over to him, threw the bona fides on him." <laughs> what he, is that? Bona fides, bona fides is, that? is like you ever seen like a spy movie where I come up and I say, "It is cold and dark right, in right. the winter," yes. and the person responds. In March, it will be warmer. And now we know we're good to go. So what yes. was the bona fides? This yeah. dude walked up to the other dude with a trooper t-shirt on, and he said, good evening, Echo. <laughs> <laughs> and boom, they knew what was Dang, up. Yep. So see? I think that's become the official bona fides of Jonko Podcast. Yeah. If you if you see someone in the wild, yeah. and you, you know, it might be a situation where you can't just get crazy. Yeah, nope. You yeah. just got to walk up and say, good evening, Echo. And then, yeah. they'll, then you can do your burpees. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and that feel that feeling is real though. That feeling that I had when it, when you see it, it's like oh yeah, you kind of know you know. Anyway, it's cool that way. A little, <laughs> little added layer, if you will. Anyway, also psychological warfare. If you don't know what psychological warfare, this is what it is. It's an album with tracks, and this is they're not music tracks. They're not Jocko's hardcore band tracks, Bronson's children's tracks. It's not that. What it is is little, they're not even excerpts because they're just loan tracks for specific things. And those things are, if you're feeling weakness at any point while you're trying to consistently get after it, wake up early or work out or stick to your mental QRF, quick reaction force. Yeah. Got some weakness hitting you? Cool. Here we go. Boom. Call the QRF. Here they are. I kind of look at it as like a spot. Yeah, you know, like when and for those of those people that don't lift, a spot is when someone helps you yeah. lift whatever weight you're trying to lift. And and not to split hairs, but really, it's not necessarily there to help you. It's I mean, ultimately, yeah, help yeah. general. To make but sure you don't go down. Yes, exactly. Make so sure you if you're slipping, yourself. if you want to really get after, if I'm going to work up every single day, no days off, one year, 
big, big, tall order right there. Just like if I'm, I'm going to bench this 10,000 pounds, whatever. I'm going to make two videos a week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bench more than I've benched before, but I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for my one rep max. It makes sense to have a spot. You might get that one rep max and yeah. not need the spot, but it's there. If you fail, like if it's like too much or it feels like too much or that guy's there to boop, just nudge you as much as you need. Right. That's really how, this is just how I look no, at it. Accurate. Yeah. Potentially. Right. Yeah. yeah so basically what it is, is you put the track on like, oh, shoot, I'm about to skip this workout. I'm about to make this workout no, day a rest day. No, you're not. Yeah. You don't want to do that. No, you can rest tomorrow. Today yeah. you work. Rest on the day that you have scheduled for rest, for real in your thing. Don't just impromptu make it a rest day because you feel like it's not how it works. If you need a little spot in doing that, you listen to a track called Workout. Get it? What is it? What workout? I don't know. One of the workout spots because <laughs> there's, there's a couple for workout. There's one for waking up. There's three for waking up. Yeah. See? And there's one for kind of sticking to the diet plan. You yeah. know, like there's that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, you put it on and there's one for getting for forcing yourself through creative blocks. Yeah. Right. Which kind of sounds like impossible, but no. let me tell you, oh, it's possible. <laughs> I would say, I will say that this will get you through it 100% of the time. Like I, I'm trying to imagine the feeling that you would, that would result in your heart if you listen to this and you still skip the workout, Ugh. bro. Um, yeah, I can't, it's hard to fathom the feeling you would have. Anyway, it's very helpful and um, a real good spot, you know. And it's Jocko talking to you, so he's like kind of there with you, you know, <laughs> the guy you want there. That's my opinion. Anyway, it's called Psychological Warfare. It's on iTunes, so if you just do a search, Psychological Warfare, Jocko Willing, get that. You can support that way, but. This is one where this is real good support for yourself. Make it your ringtone, the mm. the wake up, the wake one. up call. Yeah. yeah, clear it with your wife first. Yeah, you could have some problems. Spouses do not like. Yeah, but that's a good one. And it happened, happens, to be number one still on iTunes. That's awesome. Yep, since day one, by the way. Yes, that's thank you for the support. Yeah, on that one. Um. All right, while you're on Amazon, real quick, this is a couple things I I have to cover. Um, I legally have to do this. Jocko White Tea, we're, we're gonna, it looks like we're going to have to go put a warning on it because there's a little situation going on. Got a, uh, a, a trooper hit me up on Twitter, and this is what he said. Warning. <laughs> I started drinking Jocko Tea, and the wife became pregnant. Should be on the label. So he was also wondering if the child would arrive as a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Now... To be honest with you, we should have tested this further. Mm-hmm. You know, we should have tested this further. We didn't. And we aren't 100% sure if babies produced under the influence of Jocko White Tea will be a brown belt. <laughs> they will be a purple belt, minimum. But they might not be a brown belt. But f- fertility? Yep, it's confirmed. Prenatal jujitsu skills? Confirmed. And confirmed to a level of about 147%. So, <laughs> order the tea, make it, drink it. It tastes so good. Tastes like victory. So you can get that. You can. You can also pre-order Way of the Warrior Kid book now. Uncle Jake is trying to explain to Mark what a warrior is. So he gives him 
a notebook that has various warrior codes in it he's got the ranger creed he's got the seal code he's got the marine corps core values he's got the the seven virtues of bushido it's the samurai code he's got the code of chivalry for knights he's got the viking law so he's got all these like warrior codes in there so that young mark knows what is up and we should all we can all kind of need to know what is up with some of them the vikings you know you might not think you might think yourself about oh, viking laws what you know what can a viking teach me why would i need to know viking laws yeah. how could i possibly get anything so you get way the warrior kid you order it you will you start going through the viking laws let me tell you what they say viking laws be brave and aggressive be direct grab all opportunities use varying methods of attack be versatile and agile attack one target at a time don't plan everything in detail use top quality weapons be prepared keep weapons in good condition keep in shape find good battle comrades agree on important points choose one chief be a good merchant find out what the market needs do not promise what you can't keep do not demand overpayment arrange things so that you can return keep the camp in good order keep things tidy and organized arranged enjoyable activities that strengthen the group make sure everybody does useful work consult all members of the group for advice hey this Viking laws are 1200 years old is there anything you might be able to get out of that yes absolutely we could all take something away from that so bunch of warrior codes in there and by the way mark he ends up writing his own warrior kid code Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the kind of kid code that I wish I would have lived by you know what I'm saying yes it's gonna help some people out also just released we got the discipline equals freedom field manual coming this is what you were asking for a book it pretty much represents what we talk about this on on this podcast thoughts and action the thoughts are aligned with what you hear on this podcast the actions are more detailed than what I say on the podcast more granular more specific workouts of food intake martial arts so discipline equals field discipline equals freedom field manual you can get some of that you can also pick up a couple copies of extreme ownership of course lessons of combat leadership that we talk about on this podcast by the way from Henry the fifth to HR McMaster spans a pretty good time and those lessons of combat leadership translate to business and life and they're laid out in extreme ownership very simply and very clearly so what you do is you order one for you and then you order one for everyone in your chain of command up and down get some <laughs> muster May 4th and 5th New York City Marriott Marquis register now book your hotel book your travel come and get it you know it's morning PT that's what we start with full days of leadership training leadership discussion Q&A a lot of Q&A also just hanging out we, we're gonna we're gonna be sitting there with you eating lunch eating breakfast whatever Leif's gonna be there JP's gonna be there Dave Burke who's coming on the podcast is also gonna be there a bunch of you all are gonna be there that's one of the best things about it is meeting everybody and of course echo is gonna be there 
We knew that. Cruising. It's going to be cruising. Big time. <laughs> so, come on to that. We're in the game in that. And we're going to be in the game with you getting stuff solved. And while you're waiting for that, if you want to get in the game with us now, you can find us on the interwebs. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and be on that Facebooky. We're there too. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for supporting the podcast. We appreciate it. We're glad we have you out there in the game with us and to the military personnel that are out in the field right now in harm's way protecting freedom around the world thank you to the police and law enforcement that are out on the streets right now protecting us from criminals thank you and of course to the firefighters EMTs and other first responders that are waiting right now for us to call when an emergency takes place thank you and everyone else that is out there doing your best builders and biologists farmers and framers scientists and sales reps engineers and educators leaders and frontline sled dogs thanks to all of you for taking ownership of your life for being the discipline and for getting out there into the world with a clenched jaw and a furled brow and getting after it so until next time this is echo and Jocko, out.